Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. We're in New Zealand. Good morning to you all on this uh, particularly interesting Thursday for cricket fans uh, Really, uh, I imagine this is the defining series of the summer for New Zealand. Uh, we'll be talking to Kyle Mills just uh, after uh, a sermon shortly, and uh, he'll give us, uh, I think, uh, his uh, take on who we should start with uh, and uh, who he thinks are the key players in this uh, really, really big series. Ricardo Ball, just after 9.30. Uh, he is, of course, our extra time host, but he is also our football expert, and all matters football will cover at that time. Jim Kayes. And Logan Swinkles, there's a new name for you. Logan Swinkles will be on the panel this morning. More about that young man shortly. Uh, <coughs> Bryce Lawrence, uh, love talking uh, about refereeing, so let's talk to the boss of the referees. Uh, and he is the national referee manager, of course. Uh, the Lawrence family have been strong in the officiating of rugby over the last uh, two to three decades, really. Uh, Louis Herman Watt, uh, just prior to uh, 11 o'clock, uh, we'll go to the TAB. Then George Berry, uh, just after 11 and George is an NBA enthusiast. It's been a weird sort of NBA season. People going here and there, people refusing to play. What the heck has been going on? Uh, and at uh, 11.30 this morning, your chance to win $200 worth of TAB vouchers and some sleep drops and stump smithy. It's jackpotted all throughout the week. Be in to win. Good luck. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, this bizarre scenario surrounding Camilla Valieva just will not go away. This brilliant little 15-year-old Russian ice dancer who's threatened to be the darling of Beijing, for the moment wears the villain's crown. She's removed it uh, from that other world-class, uh, world-famous teenager, uh, Greta Thunberg, the young lady who threatens to save the planet, but as much maligned for that as well. Now, failed drug tests are not uncommon. Punishment usually by banning goes hand in hand, so that's it. She doesn't uh, compete, does she? She's out. She's gone, Burger. James, take her home and don't spare the horses, and that's not a Mark Todd quote. Uh, no. No, say the Court of Arbitration. No. Or at least their temporary branch delegates have said that, uh, the one that they've set up in Beijing. There are 21 members of this court worldwide, including but one Russian, so uh, no open bias there, is there? And for whatever reason, have someone ignored this positive drug test and let the girl compete? Oh, don't you think, in a highly dangerous precedent, they have set. That stance is crazy, outrageous even. But here is the really bizarre bit. I can't get my head around this. She's allowed to compete. So therefore, she's uh, allowed to win, surely. But uh, 
She's not allowed to be acknowledged as a winner. So no medal presentation, no podium, no national anthem. She finishes in the top three. So if she has to finish second or third, still no presentation. So no acknowledgement for the winner, whoever she may be. They cannot either salute their flag or their anthem. Now isn't that the darndest thing you've ever heard? Why? Because the court are afraid they, in all probability, will have to take back the Valieva medal and reallocate it at a later date. How the hell would you feel being a fellow competitor in that event? Probably more insulted than the fact she is actually competing in the first place. Maybe they could replace that medal ceremony with one for stupidity, and already the gold for that is clear cut. Well, it's the series we've been waiting for, and uh, I think it's the one that defines the Black Caps season. They take on South Africa beginning this morning. First of two tests at Hagley Oval down there in Christchurch. It is being billed as two of the best-paced bowling attacks in world cricket going head-to-head. And who better to preview that than one of our very best, Kyle Mills, former Black Cap, a seamer swing bowler, uh, who may or may not have relished those conditions down there this morning. Millsy, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. How are you, mate? Been a while? Oh, yeah, been a while, mate. Uh, been a while uh, since we've beaten South Africa, too, like never in a series. So uh, going back to 1932. So this is one, uh, one little thing on the whiteboard the Black Caps ha- have to tick off. Uh, but it won't be easy. This is a very, very strong South African bowling attack in particular. Yeah, it is. Look, we've been deprived of um, of international cricket, haven't we? Sad in many, in many ways. We're at mid-February and we're getting our first decent shot of an international team. Uh, and a South African team, to be honest, mate, I don't really know too much about. I, I know that fast bowling group are, are pretty good. I, I think Australia have the best fast bowling group in, in world cricket. They're outstanding, and then New Zealand are, are pretty close to that. Um, Rabat is a, a quality bowler. They've got this new kid, left-arm tall bowler, Marco Jensen. He is very tall. I'm saying he's probably the same height as, uh, more like a Bruce Reed from your era, actually, Smith. He's very much like Bruce Reed. He has good pace and carry. Um, the spinner Maharaj, I think he, he's steady, and Ngidi go, goes okay. I, I think we have a better uh, fast bowling group, to be honest. Um, their top order, uh, I think they're going to be a little bit like us, really. going to rely heavily on uh, a couple of their senior players. Dean Alga, the skipper, he's a, he's a tough, gritty customer. Um, he's led them pretty well since he's had the armband. Um, and I think they're going to be relying heavily on him. Markham's a quality player, but he hasn't got runs recently. Yes, they beat India um, not so long ago. Uh, but he had a very poor series, but he's been one of those players he marked as a, an X-factor player to carry the South African team. And you sort of jump over to the other side with, with our top order. Um, I think, again, we're going to have to look for our most experienced players with no Ross there, uh, no Kane Williamson there. Well, who's next? What's well, Tom Latham and, and Henry Nichols? And I think Henry Nichols has to step up over the course of these next two weeks. I agree. Uh, first time in 117 tests. Yeah, 117 tests. Either no Williamson or Taylor in the dressing room. So, yeah, and, and Nichols has been given that opportunity at four. He's been waiting long enough uh, to get that opportunity. He's played pretty well against South Africa in the past, and he does have a habit of getting quite tough runs, but it's been just a little while for Henry. It has been, and I think he, he, the, uh, he holds a few aces up his sleeve in, in the sense that he's got two test matches at his home venue. 
Now, he, he sh- and Tom Latham as well, they played the test matches against uh, Bangladesh here. Uh, it's a quick, um, bouncy, good, consistent pace wicket. Um, and they've got two, they're both Cantabrians. Uh, Cantabrians really tend to play well at, at their home venue as well. So I think uh, he's got a few aces on his side. So it's a great opportunity for him to take that number four position and, uh, and really um, lead, lead the top order. So, uh, Milsey, you'll be able to tell us firsthand on this. Uh, it sounds, I'm not down there, uh, it sounds though like it's a bowl first pitch, so all eyes on the toss this morning. But there is a danger in that. I mean, if everyone talks about bowling first, okay, it's, it's the preferred option. But then, of course, you talk about having to use those conditions. So as a seamer, as an opening bowler, new ball bowler, what, do you, what have you got to maintain uh, when you're given that opportunity? Yeah, it's the weight of expectation sometimes, isn't it? If you win the toss and you, you get asked to bowl first and it falls on uh, especially that first hour. And for me, of any test match, I love watching the first hour, Smithy. I think it's the best hour to watch. Um, so I'll be sitting back and trying to tune in um, this morning. Uh, with the, I find with, with foreigners coming to a place like Hagley, and it's like when the, uh, a foreign team goes to, to the wacker for the first time, you can get carried away with the pace and the bounce, and you tend to bowl a lot shorter because sometimes bowlers, they can get be, be ego-driven to see the ball carrying through to the keeper. Well, they're wasted opportunities. And so if you do win the toss this morning and happen to, to bowl first, you're still going to have to bowl full. It's that, um, it's not, I'm not talking a driving length. Yes, you want the batters being, um, trying to hit the ball down the ground. It's that nickable defensive nick. That's what you're after. If you're bowling too short, and I can see a Marco Jensen, if he bowls early because he's quite tall, he gets good pace and carry, he may get carried away with the pace and the carry. So that's where the experience and the, and the skipper really need to drill into the bowlers. You've still got to bowl that nice full length and ask the batsman to hit down the ground. Uh, okay, so the makeup of our side, Millsy, it's... Um I imagine uh, uh, Matt Henry's a given. Uh, I think, you know, he waits in the wings and then he delivers. Having said that, he's played two tests at Hagley Oval. He's got one for 227. So I wouldn't say it's a happy hunting ground for him. Uh, and then you've got uh, the number seven slot, which is probably up in the air. Combination here, uh, would you go Rutherford to bolster the batting? Would you go Ravindra for a bit of variety? Or would you go back to Colin de Grandhomme? Well, Colin de Grunholm sort of been, has come from the wilderness, hasn't he? He's had a few injuries in the last 12 to 18 months, and I kind of didn't really expect him to come into the squad, to be honest, because we haven't really had a much first-class cricket here in New Zealand. I, I guess he's been picked off the, his white, white ball form, but we all know he's a, he's a quality cricketer. He can bat, he can be destructive. Uh, he has a test entry, so I think he can perform that batting role in that number seven without question. And he does offer overs with the ball, um, I, from memory, he got a six for against Pakistan at Hagley in the past. Yes. I, I, I believe he has. So he can certainly um, perform a, a role with the ball. And I think he's a better bowler than Daryl Mitchell. If you're going to, you know, looking for that fourth seamer, I think he offers more than Daryl Mitchell. Even though I think Daryl could do a job. Um, you know, they're into the wind, bowl some dot balls, bowl some maidens. They give a, one of the fast bowlers a bit of a rest. Um, bearing in mind, we're probably not going to go into the spinner. Um, I think they probably may go for uh, Colin to Granholm just to, to cover. It's an each-way bet, isn't it, Smithy, with, with the bat and the ball? Yeah, it is. <clears throat> it is indeed. So, OK, well, uh, that's your 11, pretty well uh, done and dusted. No spin in this test. Um, this is South African side. I, I, I watched uh, quite a bit of that series against uh, India. Uh, that was a low-scoring series. I, I think this might be as well. 
Yeah, well, you look at the inexperience at the top of the order, and I don't know. I didn't watch much of that Indian Test series. I actually don't know what to make of it because let's not forget, 12 months ago, uh, India wiped Australia off the park in Australia. Let's be honest, in the, in the Test series, uh, Australia has been brilliant since at home, um, albeit against a very weak English side. Um, I just didn't know what to make of that South African performance against India. Like I know India. They're tired cricketers. They play way too much international cricket, plus the domestic scene. Um, were they tired over in South Africa, or uh, is South Africa a better side than I possibly first thought of? I know, I just know that South Africa rely heavily on, on a couple of players, and if they don't perform, then you're quite right. It, it could be a, a low-scoring series. But it's a, it's a pretty decent test, test pitch down at, at Hagley. It's, it's really consistent bounce throughout the whole test. It doesn't offer a great deal of spin, so... Not going to get a, a better chance for a, a top order player to play uh, on a, on a beautiful batting surface. No, you're not. Um, and it's. I, I think once you get in, I, I think it's, it's. As we proved against uh, Bangladesh, we lost the toss, and at the end of the day, we're 351, which is an outstanding uh, return. So uh, sometimes looks can be deceiving when it comes to cricket pitches. Um, what about the form of Kyle Jamieson at the moment? What What are you seeing here? Well, he actually got wickets on that last in that uh, test against Bangladesh at Hagley Oval. I know he got wickets in the second innings. Was it four or five? I can't quite remember. But did uh, you talk about the way that, of expectations? Anyone started international career in the way that Cole Jamison has? He's he's been fantastic uh, with the ball. He, he's contributed with the bat. Now, it's everyone's had a good look at him. Um, you know, this time twelve months ago, South Africa probably wouldn't have taken too much notice of of, of Kyle. But I think now they'll be well and truly aware of his. Of, of his capabilities. And you, you, you hear this term a little bit in rugby as well, the second season blues, I, I guess. Um, the first 12 to 18 months, you know, people don't really know too much about you. Well, everyone on World Cricket knows about Kyle now. So he's going to have to deal with that. The South African um, top order have done a lot of scouting on his strengths and weaknesses. Uh, again, he's a, he's a bowler. With, I found that he was successful in those first 12 months. Even though he's very tall, uh, gets good pace and, and bouncing carry through the keeper. He actually bowled really full. He still looks to, to the three major dismissal in every ball, bold, LBW, and court. And if you, you stick to that method, you really can't go too wrong. Well, it uh, starts very shortly, actually. The players, as we speak, will be doing their warm-ups, etc., going through those routines, getting themselves uh, ready for that. Uh, just uh, before we let you go, the IPL auction has been, it always throws up some interesting topics. Of course, it's a... It's a subject dear to your heart as well. You've been heavily involved in the IPL. Lockie Ferguson, $2 million boy. Oh, imagine that, eh, Smithy? His shout, I would, I would yeah. say. Um, look, I think uh, I don't think he was on big money the last the last three years. Maybe two, three hundred thousand. Well, bet that, that's, that's pretty big money. I'll take that. But um, this is a big, big step up. And every time in the last two years he's had an opportunity over in the IPL, he's, he's been destructive. You want your fast your fast bowler who's an overseas player to have that X factor and Lockie's got that he bowls pace he's got some good slow balls and he can swing the ball so of the 24 deliveries that he's going to have to bowl in the match over there he's got a really good variety and skill set which can, um, can can do the damage and it's just great to see a, a New Zealand cricketer um, you know, we've seen it a couple of times in the last couple of years with well, Kyle last year again going for big money to, to direct the rewards and the opportunity that they're given of playing in the, the, the biggest you know, T20 competition in the world. And, and it's great. To, uh, I hope it inspires lots of young cricketers in New Zealand. You know, this is what you can do and they can uh, attract more people to our sports um, smithy. And I, I think that's great. And if they can see you know, New Zealanders earning that sort of money.
One of the interesting uh, things and a talking point, we've had a number of people have texted our show and said, why is uh, a player of undoubted ability like Conway worth 10% of what Lockie Ferguson is, is worth? Now, you, you, as I say, you, you're heavily invested in the IPL. You've been part of a, uh, you've played, but you've also been part of a coaching group, etc. Why uh, the difference in price when, given the opportunity, they're both match winners? I think the owners over there and some of the coaches involved would not have seen too much of Devin Conway. Even though we, we have seen a lot of him and we know what he can do. Um, the Unfortunately for us uh, here in New Zealand, our, our broadcast time of, of cricket being played shooting back up into India isn't the same as, as other countries around the world. So I think there's a many a fine cricketer in New Zealand that's missed out purely for time zone and just not having that um, profile that some of these other players, especially from the Big Bash, which really grinds my wheel sometimes, Smithy, get that opportunity over a New Zealand cricketer. And I think it's possibly the case here because we all know here in this part of the world that, that Devon's a... Uh, He's a quality player. You can tell he's a team man. And the characteristics that you, that you like in any individual. So, yeah, he's gone for unders. But hopefully he can go over and, and do the damage this time round. And, and, and next time round there's an option he can go for bigger money. Is it is it uh, a preference for um, a really, really good quick bowler or a quick bowling all-rounder over a, a batsman who just has that one string to his bow? Uh, well, I think just with the... Uh, I think there has been a bit of a swing in the sense of the last couple of years that T20 cricket has kind of been focused around the, the top three in, in the order, the, the batters who can go out and do the damage. But I feel like there's been a swing. We've seen Cole go for big money, um, Pat Cummins go for big money in the years gone by for the bowler who can come in and take mm. wickets. Because there's no better way to, to reduce the, um, the run rate of an opposition team than taking a wicket. And so you kind of want that, that bowler who can come in and have the ability to um, be that wicket-taker. So I look at Tim Southey's T20 record. I think Tim Southey's an excellent bowler in all conditions, on slow wickets and fast wickets, or if it's swinging, he's got great skill set, he's got experience. And you look at his record, and it's really, really good. But since he's not seen as that quick bowler who has that X factor, he goes overlooked. He gets overlooked simply on that skill set. Whereas someone like Lockie who come runs in and bowls 150k an hour who can bowl Yorkers at the end and see the wickets flying, mm-hmm. an overseas owner and an overseas coach see Lockie as a wicket-taker. But you break the, the stats down, well, Tim's record across all facets of the game is pretty decent. <laughs> but just because it's that yeah. person bowling 150k has more appeal. Well, Milsey, great for the insight on the IPO, and uh, thanks for those uh, comments too about the Test match, which is uh, not that far away from getting underway. Like you, very interested in what happens at the toss. And the first hour with that new ball, just how that pitch uh, behaves. Hope you're backing a winner, mate. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Good man, Smithy. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, uh, Kyle Mills there, former Black Hap, of course, uh, former IPL coach. Uh, so he's uh, fully aware of what's going on in the, the world of cricket. And uh, by his comments, backing us, backing our bowling attack against the South African one. Uh, so that's good confidence there, a good sign. And I, I too... Um, uh, looking forward to the way that we use that new ball. And I'm, I'm predicting Tom Latham's going to win a toss. There you go. I'm saying he's going to win a toss. Another commentator's curse coming out of the bag. Uh, what are we talking about today on double eight double three? a tech subject? Well, there's a couple of, uh, come to mind for me. Uh, first of all, who has to step up for the Black Caps? Who has to be the standout performer? If you have to single one out, who is the onus on to be a big performer in this crucial series? Is it Nichols? Is it Latham again? Uh, is it Conway? Is it a bowler? 
Uh, no Trent Bolt in the first test match. Let's not forget about that. So who has to step up big time for the Black Caps uh, because this is uh, a rung or two above the ladder where the Bangladesh series was in terms of competitiveness and skill, I feel anyway, in terms of the opposition. The other one is uh, Mark Todd's uh, lost his training licence in the UK. Uh, where do you go on this? Uh, and, I mean, this is historical. This video is, is, is quite historical, but the punishment is really current. Uh, where do you go on that? Should uh, Mark Todd lose anything else? Should he be banned from this? Is this just the way of the modern world? How does it rate with uh, the football player who kicked the cat around the house? Is it the same sort of thing? I mean, oh, interesting one. A lot of horse people out there, a lot of uh, horse people out there who know uh, what training methods are, the use of the whip, etc. when it comes to race time. Better informed than I am, but I, I'd love to know where, where do you stand on the Mark Todd issue? Um, and uh, it's, it's a big one because... He is such a prominent member of uh, New Zealand sport over the years. 9.23 here on SENZ. Tom Latham, Will Young, Devin Conway, Henry Nichols, Daryl Mitchell, your keeper who is Blundell, of course, and then your bowlers. Wouldn't that team strengthen your batting and give you a decent all-rounder? Uh, and that, of course, would be Daryl Mitchell. Uh, don't mind that lineup. Um, maybe a bit of batting insurance. Maybe that's going through their heads. Uh, but we have heard that the top order will not include uh, Hamish Rutherford, uh, because uh, Gary Stead openly said that uh, in a press interview. So uh, whether it's Rutherford at six, which would be way out of his comfort zone, I would think, oh, I don't know if that'll happen. Uh, the other one that's come in has said, is there any chance SENZ will get the cricket commentary? Uh, radio commentary is so fragmented these days with rugby on gold and cricket on magic. It would be great to have SENZ as one of the top uh, stop first stop shop for all sport or maybe how things are now, it's just uh, how it has to be. Well, at the moment, it probably is, because uh, let's not forget, we've only been around for, since July last year, uh, these rights for, for some of these things have been in place for a little while, and have got a little while to go as well. But uh, certainly, uh, when they come up for grabs, we will be in the race. There's no doubt about that. We love broadcasting live sport on the station. I think we've got a history of it, and we've uh, also broadcast quite a lot already in our short tenure uh, in this particular role. So... Uh, I, I think you'll find, um, there's no name to that text, but yeah, I think there's a big old chance in the years coming, the season's coming, uh, that we'll certainly be seriously looking at it. Uh, Dave from Karaka, it's a pity SENZ doesn't make use of you and Bazza to lead a commentary team of the cricket. Uh, maybe in the future we should be a cracker. Go Black Caps, enjoy. Yeah, well Dave, uh, certainly on the basis of what I've just been talking about, that would be um, part of the plan, I would imagine, uh, if that is, uh, is going to eventuate, so... Of course, if we did the cricket all day, we wouldn't have the shows that we uh, have throughout the day. And uh, some of those people who work on those shows would be available to do other things. Um, Brendan is very excited about the cricket. Is there any radio commentary? Yep, there is, uh, but not with us. Uh, I think our fielding will be very important just to have to take those catches, run out chances and review well when the opportunity comes. The review is very important. Brendan, you make a good point. Uh, and I'm also uh, looking forward to uh, watching us in the field because, generally speaking, uh, not many sides can top us in that department. 9.30 here on SENZ. Well, we love Thursdays uh, at this time because uh, we have a chance to uh, talk about everything that's going on in the world of football with our expert. Uh, he's also the host of SENZ Extra Time. I'm talking, of course, about uh, Ricardo Ball. And there's plenty going on, too, with the Champions League back in action uh, this week. The Football Ferns about to play. 
and the Wellington Phoenix men and women are all of a sudden in top form together. Ricardo, good morning to you and the Phoenix uh, 3-0 over the Brisbane Roar last night. That's not a bad way to start a morning talking about footy. Mate, it's a great way to start, isn't it? I mean, uh, I thought that was a fantastic performance uh, from the men's team last night. They were uh, they, they were slick. They looked cohesive. Uh, they looked quick. Uh, they they kind of made Brisbane look like a club side, like you know, like a club side running around here. Uh, they really looked sluggish, and they they struggled to keep up and match the Phoenix. And this is a Brisbane side that coming into the Smithy, had won three on the bounce. So they're, they're no mugs. Um, so it was a really impressive performance from the Phoenix. And good to see, you know, some of the new imports getting on the score sheet as well. Scott Wooten um, he got the opener and then uh, Gail Sandoval, uh, the Mexican import, he got the second and then uh, Rennie Piscopo finished it off. And they probably could have had uh, two, uh, couple couple more. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was probably the, the most dominant performance of the season, I think. Well, you look at the table and uh, all of a sudden um, it's very congested. There's seven teams within five points of the lead. But the Phoenix, for all their woes, their COVID and everything else about them, uh, they're only three points off the pace. Yeah, exactly. And this weekend, um, it is, it's a really, uh, I'm really interested to see how they go against Sydney FC. Sydney FC have been one of those teams that the Phoenix have struggled to get results against. I don't think we've beaten them in nine. Um, so there'll be plenty of... Uh, plenty of reason for the boys to fire up for this one. And, you know, that, that Sydney team haven't managed to quite click this season. So they're kind of there or thereabouts, but they've been dropping points here and there. They've drawn a lot of games, and uh, they're not maybe the force they once were. So a, a good opportunity to end that bogey. Well, the, these results and, and this competitive nature that they're putting together, plus... Uh, the combinations that are coming together is, is starting to enhance uh, Ufuk Tule's reputation a, as a coach, which means um, uh, people are uh, looking to uh, perhaps uh, take him away from the Phoenix. And we're hearing about maybe the Western Sydney Wanderers, who are out of the race, it seems. They're eight off of pace down in eighth place. So anything to that? Potentially, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I mean, Sydney is uh, where Ufuk grew up. Um, and... I think you know he would love to move back to Sydney. Um, but being an Australian, it, it, it kind of just makes sense, you know. And he's given the Phoenix a good couple of years. Of course, we'd love to hold on to him. Uh, I don't know whether um, what the situation is there now, because I mean they only just um, sacked the Welsh coach that they had and um, put Mark Rudan, another former Phoenix coach, in charge. So I'm not sure on 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 that whether or not uh, Rudan will get the opportunity to actually, you know, rebuild this team and, and, and try and have a crack next season. If that happens, uh, I think that's great for the Phoenix because it probably means if Tele stays put. But if he's there just temporarily to the end of the season and a caretaker role, I think there's every chance they come sniffing around for Ufuk Tele. From what I understand, behind the scenes, it is a bit of a dumpster fire at Western Sydney. So I, I'm imagine, I imagine he would know that. And uh, it's whether or not he's willing to sort of take the risk and, and jump into that fire. So is there any limit on what you pay a coach in terms of your salaries, uh, caps and anything of that nature? Not that I understand, no. I think the salary cap really only applies to, uh, unlike the NRL, it only applies to your playing staff. Um, so mm. I think uh, they, they, could, they could open the checkbook quite easily and say, look, you know, here you go, here's whatever it happens to be, whatever it takes to get him uh, from Wellington uh, across to across to Western Sydney. So it's it's, it's always potential. It's always potential, Smithy. But um, we've dealt with it before. The, the Phoenix, um, you know, I mean, they had 
in the, the manner in which Rudan left obviously left a bad taste in a lot of fans' mouths, um, but it is something that, that is always a possibility. I, I don't think Ufuk Calais would go the same way. He seems to have a, a lot more credibility and, um, and, and reason about him than Ufuk Talley, uh, than, than Mark Rudan, so I don't think he would leave with the, uh, with the cool snake ringing in his ear like Rudan did. Um, and you know, to be fair to him, he's he's given us a lot more service than Rudan has, and 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 he's also delivered, I think, more than what Rudan did while he was here. I think football result of the week from our point of view, great result for the Phoenix, but uh, equally good uh, was the three 0 result for the Wellington women's Phoenix team uh, over Canberra. I thought that was outstanding. Watched that game, uh, and all of a sudden we've got a, a coach who uh, has been vindicated. Uh, we won't be losing her, hopefully, and Gemma Lewis. It's it's just nice to see. Yeah, it's really good to see, you know, and it's it's been a result that's uh, that's been coming, um, and a deserved result. I've got to say, Smithy, I, I know you love a punt. I, I got on the Phoenix women's team at five fifty for that Canberra game. That's what they were paying oh. at the TAB, and uh, yeah, yeah, so I, I was quite happy with that result. It's got to be said, but I mean, it was one that was coming. I mean, if you look at the, um, you know, sort of four results going back from that. They had led 2-1 late against Brisbane and uh, just, you know, we're trying to learn to hold, how to hold a lead and end up losing at 3-2. Uh, they went down 1-0 to an Adelaide team who were very good in the top four of the table uh, to a late goal. They then led Perth 2-1 as well late in the game and gave up two late goals to lose 3-2. So it's been coming. The, 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 the confidence is starting to come. The, the cohesiveness is there and the belief is there that they can match these teams. And, you know, you look at who they've got to come. They've got Adelaide uh, on tonight, and that's going to be a tough game. It's probably the toughest of the games they've got left. Um, Adelaide just put eight past Brisbane the other day, so they're a team in form at the moment. But then it's Western Sydney um, and, and to finish with Perth Glory, and those are, those are two teams that I think the, um, the Phoenix women's team will feel like they owe one, and uh, there's definitely a couple of results on the horizon, I think, before the end of the season. Yeah, I find there are three points, uh, just looking at the table, out of uh, seventh place, really. I mean, that would be a, a heck of a result if they could uh, manage to, have, to get themselves up the table. That game tonight, of course, yeah, uh, Adelaide United, without Lily Alfield, who's been called into uh, the football ferns, and uh, they're not allowed to have a, a specialist replacement outside of the squad coming in, which is I find a little bit bizarre. Does that apply to the men's as well? Well, I don't think it would. And that's the thing, and it's not just that it's a bizarre ruling. I, I think there's just been an, uh, a real disrespect from uh, administration of the A-Leagues to the, uh, the, to the Phoenix and to, and to this Phoenix women's team who have given up so much to, you know, move, you know, be, being thrown together late and then move to Australia, complete, base themselves in Wollongong to compete in this thing. Um, and, you know, according to David Dome um, and to Gemma Lewis, they just weren't returning calls. You know, the, the, the emails were put in, the calls were put in, and they were getting nothing back. And then at about 5 to 5 the other night, uh, just before the office closed, uh, they got an email saying no, uh, which makes no sense to me at all. Uh, I don't know why you do that for the integrity of the competition, let alone anything else. And what it means for the Phoenix is, uh, Lily's obviously off, as you mentioned, with the football ferns, so their, their number two is going to be in goal, but due to regulations, you have to have a goalkeeper on the bench, which means they now have to name one of their outfield players as a reserve goalkeeper who cannot be used as a, an outfield player if, if the need arises. Uh, and they do have a couple of injury concerns. You know, Kate Taylor, who was the vice-captain in Judah, 
captain this team at just the age of 19. Um, has a, she went off in the last game with a back issue against Canberra and has now been ruled out of this game. So uh, they've lost another player there and, and, and are unable to, to bring in this keeper. And it means, you know, that it's another outfield player that they don't have an option of. And generally speaking, if you're going to have a, an outfield player as your reserve goalkeeper, it's probably going to be a defender. They tend to be a bit bigger, a bit taller, uh, and they can, you know, sort of read things a bit better. So it, it really is a double blow, I think, for the Phoenix and, you know, a really poor look from the A-League administration. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, uh, as we said, Lily Oldfield is leaving the group to go with the football ferns. May well be uh, in the lineup too to play in the She Believes Cup, which is an interesting one in the United States. Uh, so Iceland tomorrow, USA on Monday, and the Czech Republic next Thursday. Uh, is this a new competition, Ricardo? It's, uh, no, it's one that the US, um, it's an invite competition, if you like, that the US hosts every year. Um, and I, I think it's sponsored by Nike from memory. I think she believes is a, is a Nike thing. Um, and they also sponsor the uh, US women's national team. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great competition to be a part of, especially with, you know, a World Cup not too far away for, for our football ferns. And, and I think the way Yipka uh, Klimkova has them playing, you know, they're playing, playing a lot more positively than they have done in a long time. They're really looking to get the ball forward at every opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing this and seeing how they go. It's... Um, I mean, the US are by far and away the best team in the, out of the four. They are the number one in the world. Uh, but Iceland are ranked 16th. Uh, the Football Ferns uh, are ranked, I think, 21st. And then you've got the Czech Republic who are ranked 24th. Uh, so, I mean, I think it would be nice to try and get a result against the US on their own backyard. But really, I think the games we should be looking at here, and I'm pretty sure the games that Klinkova will be looking at, will be those of the teams around us and, and, and trying to get results against those teams and boost our ranking. Uh, it's just, uh, very important now in Champions League. It's the round of 16. Uh, yesterday, Man City absolutely dominant over Sporting Lisbon. Mate, that was a superb performance for Manchester City, uh, just from the go. I mean, Sporting Lisbon, you get this straight, Sporting Lisbon are no mugs, and that Portuguese league is a quality league. I mean, so many of the stars now in the Premier League have come from that Portuguese league. And I, you know, I, I think the way Manchester City uh, went about their business yesterday was just superb. And Bernardo Silva, uh, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the goal. So he scored two, but the first one, uh, it just came down to him just inside the box. He hit it on the half volley, and I tell you, if the keeper had managed to get a hand on it, he would have lost a digit because it just absolutely rocketed and hit the underside of the bar and bounced in, and it's just a superb uh, goal. Uh, Phil Foden was also extremely good for Manchester City. I mean, they were 4-0 up at half-time and then cruised the second half. And, you know, one of the things that's been said about Manchester City this season is that the, the, the priority for them is to win the Champions League and that this nine-point lead they currently have in the Premier League is exactly what they want because they can afford to focus on the Champions League now and, and make that their priority. Well, I mean, they've done that in one game. Uh, there's no way that Sporting Lisbon are going to go to uh, the Eddie Had and, and score six goals uh, without conceding one. So, you know, they can really take their foot off the gas for probably another month in the Champions League now and, 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 and sort of focus on extending that lead in the Premier League even, even further. But, yeah, that was, uh, I think, probably City's best performance of the season. It was absolutely superb. As we speak, just approaching half-time on the games this morning, uh, Liverpool are uh, nil all with Inter, and uh, on the other game, uh, Salzburg one nil up over Bayern Munich. 
Yeah, which is a real surprise. I uh, I had uh, a journalist from 442 magazine, the big football magazine in the UK on last night previewing these games. And we really focused on the Inter Milan-Liverpool game and I'm kind of, as a byline, said, well, you know, Bayern Munich are going to be too too good for the Austrians, aren't they? And, and, and he was like, yeah, 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 I think so. I mean, um, but then, you know, I mean, the, that, that Salzburg team, they scored a lot of goals in their group games. They conceded a few, but they also scored a lot. And uh, that was pretty impressive for me. Uh, and, and maybe it's just the perfect storm at the moment because Bayern just seemed to have gone off the boil. On the weekend, uh, they lost 4-2 in the league in Bochum who, you know, that that would be the equivalent of uh, Manchester City at the moment, you know, losing to Brentford, that kind of thing. Um, it's just not something that you saw coming. So, yeah, maybe they've just hit buy-in at the right time. It's just, I guess, in a way, for the for the underdog that Hosburg are, it's a pity that uh, there's a return league because um, the home and away definitely plays into the advantage of the bigger, better teams because I, th- I think there'd be a backlash if they did go on to lose this game. OK, Ricardo, thank you very much uh, for your time. Can talk all morning. Uh, with you, but we're, as you well know on radio, there are time constraints uh, and we're run out. Ricardo Ball, as uh, always, thanks very much for your, your input, mate, and um, uh, look forward to. Um, actually, you've got a Greyhound Racing show coming up on Sunday, is that right? Yeah, with uh, Rosso. Rosso and Andy McCook. Yeah, yeah and, mate, and okay. honestly, uh, the amount I know about dogs is uh, inverted about what I know about football. I absolutely know nothing. Uh, I know they've got four legs and a tail. That's about it. So I'm about to uh, I'm about to get educated, Smithy. I think we've got a, we've got a, a segment on the show for people like me called Dogs for Dummies, and uh, I'm going to try and learn some things about greyhounds. I got one word for you, Ricardo. Snap. Yep. See you later. It's nine forty-six <laughs> here on buddy. SCNZ. <laughs> See you, mate. Nine forty-six. In safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Just looking at the forecast for Christchurch uh, and uh, fine today, fine tomorrow. A bit of uh, precipitation around on Saturday. Possibility of a shower Sunday, Monday. So not too bad. Uh, not too bad. And if the uh, first two days produce a lot of wickets, uh, the test will uh, no doubt finish in a result one way or the other. Um, and uh, interesting uh, to note, Craig summed it up pretty well. If they all step up at the same time, we can mark it down as a win. Simple as that. Uh, John, first rugby team revealed for the weekend. Have you got news of that? Yeah, mate, absolutely do. Uh, love it. Love it when it's team naming. It always happens too late in the week for my liking, but the Highlanders have got in early, as they like to do. Smithy, we talked about the Highlanders yesterday with Brendan Laney. He likes their chances this year, so this is your Highlanders team to take on the Chiefs on Saturday afternoon, 4.35 in Queenstown. Ethan De Groot, Liam Coltman and Jermaine Ainsley on debut at tight head prop. Naki Selby Rickett and Josh, Josh Dixon. A couple of good solid locks there. Shannon Frizzell playing his 50th game for the Highlanders at six. James Lynch's at co-captain at seven. And Gareth Evans, your boy, Smithy, at number eight. So cool to see him starting there. Aaron Smith will start at nine and captain the team. Mitch Hunt is the co-vice-captain. Co-vice-captains. What's the world coming to, Smithy? Uh, at first five, mm. Scott Gregory and Fatuli Pyre in the midfield, which is an interesting wee combination, and Josh Timu and Mosesi Darwai on the wings, both on debut as well, and Sam Gilbert at fullback, Smithy, so quite a green looking back line and quite a strong loose forward trio, all with Aaron Smith and Mitch Hunt, so not a bad wee Highlanders side. No, we'll uh, take another look at that throughout the morning, but um, talking points there, the midfield I think is the biggest one talked to Brendan Laney yesterday, I don't think he came up with that combination I think it's fair to say. 9.53 here on SENZ, multi before 10. 
date on Twitter and Instagram at SENZ underscore radio. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the holder, know when the folder, Smithy's multi, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, yesterday the Miami Heat uh, were beaten by the Dallas Mavericks, so that upset the apple cart because the Phoenix getting home against Brisbane offered great value at $2.75. Today, the Utah Jazz to beat the LA Lakers. What a schmozzle they are, $1.48. Uh, tomorrow morning, Atalanta to beat Olympiacos, uh, $1.45. It's football, of course. And tennis today, uh, ATP Doha. Later today, Vasilashvili to beat Fukovic at $1.83. And that will return $3.93. We're 8 and 16. We certainly need one to break the uh, losing streak that we're on at the moment. Panel straight after 10 o'clock. Uh, earlier time today, Jimmy Case comes in uh, at the start of a big rugby competition, of course. And we will be introducing to you Logan Swinkles. Logan Swinkles will be uh, making his debut on the panel. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, panel regular Jim Kays is on this morning. Uh, A lot of experience there, but we have a newbie uh, on and his name is Logan Swinkles. I will tell you a little bit more about Logan Swinkles uh, in the next day or so, uh, but I can tell you right here and now, he's an ice hockey tragic, a sports <laughs> content creator, uh, he has a history uh, in sport at his tender young age, so we'll get to Logan very shortly, we'll just give him time to take a deep breath and start with uh, the experience of Jimmy Kays, and uh, Jimmy Kays, uh, the test match this morning, uh, the Black Caps against South Africa, loving this one, I think the prospect of this is huge. Yeah, it's huge. You're right. Huge is a good word. I, I love Test match cricket. It's still my favourite format, uh, and this is certainly an intriguing Test series. Uh, Smithy isn't it? South Africa uh, coming off that two-one uh, series win over India, and the Black Caps were a bit of an unknown. How often do we say that about a Black Caps uh, team in, in the last decade? Because they've been so consistent. But no Kane Williamson. Uh, obviously no Ross Taylor because he's retired. Uh, Trent Bolt's away um, uh, for the first test, at least on paternity leave. Um, so what sort of a Black Caps performance are we going to get out of the guys that are there? It's, it's, it's intriguing. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I always look forward to the... I love that first over, that first ball, the first session. First mm. everything is, is just superb. So uh, really looking forward to it. But boy, Trent Bolt, I just read his stats here, mate, at Hagley. Uh, he's taken 53 wickets at 21.1 from nine matches there most by any bowler so he's a big he's a big absence isn't he for that first test match he certainly is uh jimmy and he's being replaced i would think anyway by matt henry who's uh, got one for 227 unbelievably on his home oh. deck and two test matches so uh logan swinkles good morning to you sir uh you're across the the black caps and uh a team that uh first time since 2008 doesn't have either kane williamson or ross taylor in the dressing room 
Yeah, it's good to be here, Smithy and uh, Jim Kays, and I actually go a long, long way back. So this is nice for my first time to be alongside him. Uh, the Black Caps, really interesting, this whole series. Uh, I will admit, I've been more of a recent test cricket convert. I've always been, uh, in my younger days, more of an ODI fan. Uh, but back in uh, my last main job, I was over at News Corp, and I had to follow the Australian cricket team. So you'll have to forgive me for uh, my Australian knowledge there. But they kind of did turn me over to test cricket. And I'm really excited about this one uh, at Hagley Oval as well. Of course, we've talked about uh, Devin Conway. He's up against his, you know, his former country countryman. You know, he was on a heater against the Bangladesh. Uh, looked amazing. A couple of centuries there. But uh, recently, his form hasn't been that great on the local scene, uh, both in the Super Smash and the uh, the Ford Trophy. He did get a 74 not out against Canterbury, but, you know, different forms of the game. Uh, is he really going to turn up the heat against uh, the Proteas instead, rise to that challenge? That's what I really want to see, because you know those South Africans are going to be chirping him hard out there in the Oval. Uh, so I'm just really hoping Conway lets the bat do the talking this time. Yep, what about I think we all are in Smithy, can I ask you about this young guy, um, Marco Jansen, who's, he's, um, try, uh, sorry, I just lost, he's 2.03 metres tall. Now, I did a quick Google, yeah. and your old mate, Joel Garner, was 2.06 metres tall. Um, you would have faced him a fair few times. What was that like? Well, he's a monster. Garner was a you know, big man with it. Um, you know, he, he wasn't just, he was big across the shoulders, you know, Free axe handles, as they used to say in the old uh, vernacular, Jimmy. He was just a huge, huge man uh, in all aspects, so I'm told. But uh, this guy is more lean. This more is, uh, right. He's more lean, Marco Jansen, more lean. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, but wiry. But what I did notice against him in uh, the series against uh, India, he doesn't take a backward step. I mean, he's South African, isn't he, Jimmy? So he, he didn't take a yeah, backward step. Yeah. He was in the face. He's, he's new, he's young, he's an all-rounder, uh, and I think uh, a player that will show uh, a lot of talent in this series. And just be uh, a lot of people have come to New Zealand with big reputations, of course, on our pitches and failed. So all eyes on yes. uh, this uh, South African side. Uh, Jimmy, um, Silver Lake deal, done and dusted, I hear. Yeah, done and dusted. Uh, big announcement from New Zealand Rugby today saying that, uh, that they've finally done the deal. Um, and that's great. My question here is whose reputations have been sullied by this? On which side? The Players Association, maybe? Uh, is it Rob Nickel? Is it Mark Robinson? Whatever, because it, this has been an, un, an unsightly, un, uncomfortable squabble between the two sides of New Zealand rugby. There's clearly been a lot of concessions made. We know that it's a very different deal to what New Zealand rugby came out with, what was it, a year, maybe 18 months ago? Does that mean that New Zealand rugby presented a poor... Uh, proposal back then does it mean that you know the players association was correct with all of the protests that they put up up at the time and they were portrayed often uh, particularly by the likes of uh, Brent Impey as being greedy and selfish uh, but there seems to have been a lot of shift towards their towards their way so I think I think there's there needs to be time for us to drill down a bit into this and to have a look at it and say well okay mm. um, you know whose reputation has been damaged by this because when there's been so much compromise, you've got to wonder, mate, what was the first deal? What were the credentials of that first deal that were put forward? And that, at the time, New Zealand rugby stuck to so rigidly. 
And let's not forget, at the time, New Zealand Rugby, they accused the Players Association of greed, and the Players Association said, we don't want anything to do with Silver Lake. They don't have the interest of the game at heart. So those are two pretty black and white positions to be in and now to come to this. So wonderful that they've agreed this deal, but I think both sides need to have a look at the stances that they took a year or so back and, and really have a look at their own internal integrity, I think, because neither one, in my opinion, has come out of this um, looking, looking good for the way that they behaved over the last year or so. No, I totally agree. Um, it's, it's a smaller, uh, by, by all accounts, smaller deal um, financially. I haven't really got to uh, the, the brass tacks myself, Jimmy. I'll have mm. to do that mm. after the show. But uh, we hope to talk to Rob Nicholl a little bit later in the morning and see uh, what his aspect of, of the deal is because, of course, he was, along with David Kirk, one of the uh, people that spoke up against the original proposal. So uh, I think, Logan, the most important thing, though, is uh, through it all, uh, where's the money going to filter down to? And, and uh, I would imagine... And now that it's been cut, some uh, smaller unions might be thinking they're going to get a cheque. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, money talks here. You know, we're trying to come out of a pandemic, hopefully, and uh, every little bit of money is going to really help these smaller clubs. You know, we we hear them talk of this trickle-down effect and, you know, they're talking big numbers and, you know, it sounds really promising and you hear the PR spin about them, you know, with their digital technologies at Silver Lake and what they can do to really help drive innovation for New Zealand rugby. Like, that's really great to hear. You know, hopefully that really pushes things uh, on the global stage for New Zealand and pushes our brand and the sport to uh, other countries that may not be so aware of it. Time will tell. But then on the local scene there, you know, you've got the, the little clubs that might be struggling there. How much money are they really going to get? What, what you know, benefit will they see? So, again, like Jim says, you know, we kind of just need to sit down, read this out and see what happens. But I do think this is promising. I, I don't think this is New Zealand rugby selling its soul completely. You know, there was obviously a bit of back and forth there on what the stake would be. And, I mean, you know, rugby's been professional since 1995. This is just part of it. It's It gets commercialised. So... Uh, just hopefully, yeah, we'll see uh, the little grassroots rugby get a bit of, bit of, bit of a cut. And that's Absolutely. important. That uh, grassroots Jim, rugby. Yeah, but it's, it is. It's, sorry, Smithy, but that grassroots roots rugby. I was just chatting uh, before coming on here with uh, Chris Boyd, the former Hurricanes Wellington coach who's now at North, um, Northampton Saints. And he said to me that when he was, a, when he was playing, his club, Tawa, had 11 senior teams and they've, they've now got three. He said when he was playing, and, and he's only a little bit older than me, uh, the, you know, it was standing room only on a Saturday night. And, and those clubs, none of that happens now. They don't get money through the bar. They're not getting people into the club. They're struggling to field teams. So if New Zealand rugby want rugby to continue to be the, the number one sport in New Zealand, if, if it still is, you know, but, but our national game, and, and continue to be this production line of players, they're, boy, oh boy, the grassroots need a lot of attention because they have, they're not withering, they're, they're dying. Uh, and if we, don't, if, we, if we don't pay drastic attention to the production line of players and, and what used to be a big fabric of society, it used to be that you played rugby in winter and cricket in summer, uh, you know, that's, that's gone. There are so many options for people, for young boys to play sport, uh, young boys and girls to play sport now. Uh, and rugby is competing with that. And, and I just hope, Smithy, that some of this money is directed to the absolute grassroots so that they can remain viable and sustainable and that production line of, of players remains. Otherwise, the game's in serious trouble. Yeah, well, I suppose that falls uh, under the 
Uh, headlight of community rugby, headline community rugby. Uh, Jimmy, that's Steve Lancaster's uh, boat, isn't it? That he's uh, he's steering at the moment. So we'll just uh, we might catch up with him next week and see if he's expecting uh, something to go his way. Uh, but Jim, always every year before a competition starts, we hear from uh, the referees uh, about what they intend to do, the little um, nuances that they're hoping to change in the game. And uh, this time, I think the whole theme is around again. Speeding it up. Are you across these? Uh, um, what the, the directives I've had? Yeah, I've I've had a bit of a read of it, and you know, yes, we want a fast game. Well, I I, I think we need to redirect our attention away from the referees and put it fairly on the players and the coaches because they are the ones who will determine really what style of rugby we get. If they're going to continue to cheat, if they're going to continue to do whatever. Uh, and, and man, I was a loose sport. I cheated as much as I could because I was too slow otherwise. So it, it's the way that, that the players want to play the game. It's the way that the coaches want to coach the game. That ultimately will decide what sort of entertainment we get to watch. And, and remember, this, they are in the entertainment industry. So yes, the referees can do so much. They can do, they can do what they do. But the pressure, the onus, the emphasis really has to go back on the coaches and the players to coach a style of rugby that's entertaining and to play a style of rugby that's entertaining and within that, to play to the rules. You know, it's, it's been obvious for years that we want the player, the, the tackle line to come down. Little things like that, I don't see enough of a shift in and that's from the coaches and from the players. You know, if they want to drastically reduce the tackle height, they can do that. They'll coach it and they'll enforce it within their own team. So I love it when the referees come out with what they, with what they want but really, it's the players and the coaches, and that's where our pressure should be going on. You guys need to produce a style of game that we all want to watch, and that's going to be entertaining for us to watch, and that people are going to pay money to watch. Mm. And kids are going to want to play as well, I think, is one of the yes. factors too, Jimmy, that's yes. involved yes. here, getting back, to your, getting back to your other point. So, uh, uh, Logan, uh, I've uh, looked at uh, two or three of the aspects they're looking at, uh, and they're hoping, uh, hoping if they can, to take the TMO out of play a lot more, in fact, just to, uh, to look at specific things rather than general play. In other words, have less of a presence. That can only be good. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You know, throwing out the uh, captain's challenge there, all about speeding up the game. I mean, you know, just listening to you and Jim go back and forth on that, it just reminds me of the NRL and Peter Volandi's the big dog there at Australian Rugby League going in and doing everything he can to speed up the game and make it a more exciting product. So, again, is this, you know, New Zealand, we're trying to do the same thing. Let's make rugby more entertaining to get more people watching. Um, less stoppages, less stopping for the TMO and slowing things down, the better. Because I mean, we're all been there. We're, we watch a game, we get really into it, and then things get niggly, and you know you have to break things down, and it could be like a five-minute stoppage, and you've lost all that momentum. So anything that can kind of adjust that, but you know, still keep the game fair and making sure all the right calls are being made, it is definitely a very tricky balance to strike. So uh, I guess we'll see this season how it goes. Jimmy, change tack considerably here. Uh, what about the the Mark Todd scenario here? It's a historical. Um, it's historical uh, in that respect. It's an old an old video clip. Mm. Um, I, I doubt very much if it's the only time he's ever done it, and he's probably done it since that video clip as well. So, uh, what about this? Is this going to blow over, or uh, because of his stature, is it not? Um, well, other things in his past have blown over, haven't they? Uh, and he's he's moved on and, and continued to be successful. Um, 
there wasn't perhaps the video evidence that there is of this. It is an awful, awful video to watch. It's an appalling way to treat an animal. Um, and he's really only come out and apologised because he's been potted for it, you know. As you say, we, we could probably surmise it's not the first, not the last, you know, first time he's done it. Certainly probably did do it past that. Uh, I just think it's, yeah, it's awful. It's, it's, it's awful to see. And um, will it stick with him? I don't know, mate. He seems to be a little bit Teflon. Seems to be a little bit Teflon, Sir Mark. Um, and, you know, I don't know whether it was... Will it sully his reputation any more than the curly one did back in 20 years ago? I, I, I don't. Probably not. Except maybe, except maybe, Smithy, because this is directly rela rela uh, related to his passion, his occupation, what he's famous for, horses, mm. you know? So when you see a, a man who's famous for horses beating a horse with a stick uh, to get it to cross some water, maybe that will stick to him a little bit more than some of the other indiscretions did. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm waiting with bated breath about this. To be fair, uh, I'm not going to I'm not thinking it's going to go away this time around. So uh, life's mm, changed. Mm. Life's changed a lot since Mark Todd even won on Charisma. Uh, I think it's fair to yes. say. Uh, okay, uh, let's look at uh, something completely different. Right up your alley, then, Logan Swinkles. Are we looking at a miracle on ice this time in the Winter Olympics? Remember the miracle on ice back in uh, before you were born, way way back. Soviet Union? Uh, yeah, that is going way, way back. Uh, Smithy, this is my Super Bowl, the women's hockey gold medal match. Uh, it's just after 5pm today. I can't wait for it. I'm going to be glued to that TV. I'm making sure my uh, young daughter Madison will be as well. It's a perfect game to watch uh, while you're having your dinner. Uh, this is just USA and Canada going at it head to head like they always do. You know, there's been talk about, and the, this was a rubbish article that came out by the Toronto Star saying that women's hockey shouldn't even be in the Winter Olympics because it's just USA and Canada. And I was like, well, okay, then why do you have men's basketball in the summer? Because you just have the dream team, right? Well, this is just the best on best, and it is so exciting. It is so fast. Uh, team USA are looking to defend their gold medal, but of course, Canada have just come out firing uh, in these uh, Winter Olympics in Beijing. Just absolutely amazing performances. They're breaking records, looking to break more records uh, as they just keep scoring. And I, I mean, I'm definitely going to see it. I, I feel like this is going to be a Canada victory. Uh, Marie uh, Philippe Poulin, the captain, she lives for these games. You know, the most recent IIHF World Champs, again, USA versus Canada in that final. Uh, Poulin won it for them 3 2 in overtime. You're just going to see these big name players really stepping up. And it is the showcase event for this sport, the gold medal match. Um, it, you know, women's ice hockey in general is in an interesting uh, form at the moment. You know, they don't have a big national league like the men do, and they're trying to push for that. And this is the event to really sell the sport. So uh, I hope people tune in and watch it today because, honestly, I think if you haven't seen it before, this will be the game that will really convert you to the game of ice hockey. Jimmy, you're um, a good old arbitrator in matters of uh, New Zealand sports history. So where does uh, Zoe Zadowski sinnet uh, sit for you? We're quite often we're a bit knee-jerky and we get carried away with what's just happened, but we've had a, a couple of days now to reflect on this performance. Where does, where does it rate for you? Uh, the, this performance rates right up there, uh, particularly because with the, with the gold medal that she won, she did it from such a clutch position, having to, to, to win the gold with her last run. Um, put that slightly to the side. You cannot dismiss someone who has won all three 
uh, medals at an Olympic Games. I think like a lot of people, Smithy, I'm, I'm completely really ignorant when it comes to the Winter Olympics and, and a lot of, you know, I don't know a half pipe from a full pipe. I mean, I'm going to watch Nick Porteous this afternoon purely because, you know, he's a Kiwi competing and it's at a time that I can watch and those sorts of things. So we get excited about it from that perspective. But you just can't knock the fact that she has won three Olympic medals. Uh, she's won our first ever gold. She's the first athlete to win two medals uh, at a Winter Olympics. It's one heck of a performance. She's only 20 years old. And, you know, I would say that is... That deserves to sit alongside what Lisa Carrington did uh, at the at the Summer Olympics last year. It is a phenomenal performance, and you only need to look at the excitement around it and the the number of people who are talking about it, the number of people who know her name, uh, to to know how far it sort of penetrated into the New Zealand uh, sporting scene. So, well, well done to her, and, and as I say, I would put it alongside what Lisa Carrington did in, in a kayak last year. Jimmy Case, thank you very much for your time this morning. Rugby kicking off shortly, so you will be a very busy boy. And uh, Logan Swinkles, uh, more about Logan coming up uh, in the next day or so, folks, uh, here on SENZ. Thanks to the panel this morning. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, tune into SENZ every Sunday from 11 till 12, uh, so Sunday morning for... GRNZ's Dog Speed, that's Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, hosted by our very own Ricardo Ball. We just heard him before on football, master of uh, everything uh, is Ricardo Ball. Uh, he's joined by Greyhound experts Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook. Uh, so don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. New show, uh, Sunday from 11 to 12. And following on after that, of course, will be Trot's Talk uh, with Greg O'Connor. Um, and, of course, Mick Guerin. Uh, texts are coming in, and uh, I can tell you the toss uh, down in Christchurch, this all-important toss between New Zealand and South Africa, about two minutes away. We'll keep you updated with the outcome of that. Uh, good morning, Smithy. Will there be radio commentary of the test on SNZ? No, it won't. Uh, not this time around. We talked about that before, uh, so we, w- we won't be having it. Uh, but we'll give you updates uh, throughout the, the morning, and then afternoon staff will keep you updated as well, surely. Uh, we can't give you ball by ball, but we can certainly give you updates. Um, Brad said, uh, well, we'll know Brad very shortly, but his most logical lineup would be Latham Young, Rutherford at three, Conway Nichols de Grandholm at six, with Blundell at seven, Jamison Hendry Wagner Bolt. I think the bowlers sort themselves out, but there is conjecture, so there is uh, questions about to be answered down there uh, through Tom Latham, win, lose, or draw the toss. Can't draw the toss here, what are you talking about? Whoever is batting at five or six will need to step up, because looking at the bowling lineups, uh, there will be early wickets. So, uh, Chris, that's quite a valid point, actually. Uh, there might be some rebuilding having to be done as early as this morning. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll keep a very, very close eye on that, but I agree with that. And who's batting at five and six at the moment? Uh, from what Gary Stead said, that will be Daryl Mitchell and perhaps Tom Blundell. Uh, uh, Zade has come in and said, uh, here, I think Devin Conway is going to be the key for the Black Caps in this test match against South Africa. He's going to be tested. Uh, he's playing against his mates. Uh, we spoke to one of them yesterday, Russie van der Dersen, uh, who actually played with him and Neil Wagner uh, in provincial cricket back in South Africa. He'll know he's out there, Devin Conway, that's for sure. Uh, it's 10.30 here on SENZ. Bryce Lawrence next.
Well, Super Rugby returns this weekend, thank goodness. And as always, there's a lot of focus on the refereeing and the flow of the game. And joining us this morning is the New Zealand Rugby National Referee Manager, Bryce Lawrence, very, very experienced uh, in the laws of the game and officiating the game both on and off the field. Uh, it's great that he's uh, been able to, to help us out uh, and clarify a few things this morning. Bryce, good morning to you. Hey, Smithy, how are you? Yeah, cool, man. Really looking forward to uh, rugby getting back on our screens, particularly all our players back involved. And uh, one of the themes that uh, you're hoping for is a faster, more free-flowing uh, game this season. Uh, how do you hope to achieve that, mate? Yeah, well, I mean, the players and, and coaches have really driven most of the game focus areas this year, and all the teams want to play attacking rugby. And to do that, we need to get quick ball and we need to have space on the field. So the referees really, you know, are, are just trying to buy into that and, um, and and create space across the whole field. So we'll be strong on offsides, strong on getting quick ball at the breakdown. Um, so getting rid of, you know, as much mess as we can there. We know our New Zealand players are, are really clever on attack and our coaches are really innovative. So... Our job as referees is just to to create the parameters that let the players showcase their skills, hopefully. Uh, obviously, uh, when it comes to uh, the officiating side of it too, Bryce, I, I imagine you guys are, have been just as frustrated as a lot of people over the time it's taking to complete a game of rugby this time. So what, what methods, methods uh, or what measures have you taken there, uh, particularly around the TMO and the consultation process? Yeah, definitely continued frustration across the whole game. I, we totally understand that. Um, some of that we we have to improve what we're doing. Um, it's a, a bit of a collective problem, really, and a collective solution. But we're going to try and get the referee and ARs, assistant referees, owning as many decisions as they can. So we're going to try and you know create a mindset and a positive mindset around let's just own it let's be confident let's get in great position let's back ourselves and then we just use the tmo in the background to sweep up any clear and obvious errors or anything that um we've really got wrong and really um really the mindset is the is the key that the referee and the ars are going to be doing everything they can to get the decision Obviously, there's some very complex ones in the corner. We'll go to the TMO mm. for those. That's important. But most of it, we're going to try and own ourselves. That's great. Uh, I, I applaud that because I think it, it, when, when you, you're almost depowering the referee, who, who should really be the boss in my, my way I look at it, sort of depowering a wee bit when you, you take those. And I think, that'll, I think that's great. I, I think it happens to, across too many sports where uh, the more technology you give someone... Uh, the less confident they are in making decisions. And uh, would would you see that as a bit of a flow-on for r rugby as well, Bryce? Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're meaning. I, I think just the professional game, Smithy, as you know, in all sports, it, it's so such small margins and, and the need to try and be as perfect as possible, and that's why technology is brought in, just drives the mindset that I can't afford to make a mistake. Now, we're not going to be aiming to make mistakes for sure, but we also know we're going to make mistakes. It's, it's just human error in a very fast-paced game. What we're trying to do is get back to the original philosophy of a TMO is to come in and fix the real big 
errors that happen once or twice in a game not to come in for everything. So, look, it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, but really our guys need to have a mindset that we're going to back our ability and back our, back our teamwork and the TMO's there to fix anything that we're getting horribly wrong. Okay, let's look at uh, the scrums, which is always, uh, and I, I know you, it's one of your bugbears as well, the, uh, the, the mess around um, the, the time it takes to set a scrum and get it, uh, get it going properly. Uh, 30 seconds, you're looking at perhaps a 30-second window. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one, Smithy. I mean, I, I actually love a good scrum contest, and New Zealand teams are normally very positive and very good at scrummaging, so it's normally not a major blight on our game. But the law does say that teams have to be ready to set a scrum within 30 seconds of the whistle being blown. So we're just going to proactively and positively manage that, encouraging teams to form up quicker. Um, If we do have resets, which happen in games, I understand that, especially early in the season, you'll see referees blowing time out to stop stop the time being wasted and then blowing time back on when the scrum's set. So we're just going to be really positive around trying to get players at the scrum, getting organised quickly, same at line-out time. Once again, that's what the team coaches and players are telling us they want. Um, our job is just to now go and implement that. Obviously, also, the breakdown is always a, a key area, so uh, you've reinforced the coming-through-the-gate aspect of, of that, uh, and also the, the first man there making a positive, a positive step towards... Uh, ball security or, or, or winning the ball, a definite move there, not just lying over the top as such. So another focus on that contentious area. Yeah, it's complex, it's quick, it's dynamic. It's also extremely important. There's about 250 of them in a game. Referee's job, create the parameters so the players know what's allowed, what's not allowed. Um, get the clear and obvious things. Uh, good teams adapt very quickly at that breakdown area. The general theme from coaches, the attack needs the confidence to play. Defenders, so guys arriving at the breakdown to, to win the ball, often called a jackler. That's fine, that's encouraged, but they have to be perfect in supporting their body weight to be rewarded. So just a slight slight swing towards uh, supporting the attack and a bit of a higher threshold around what we expect from the defenders. No captain's challenge, uh, interesting. Goal line dropout to uh, continue. 20-minute red card replacement, love that one. And a 50-22 uh, uh, kick, uh, of course, rewarding uh, the side back with possession and golden points. So we've seen all these uh, before. No more captain's challenge, though. Yep, the teams didn't like the captain's challenge. The coaches didn't like it. Uh, to be fair, the referees didn't really like it. It just slowed the game down. Um, It was worth a trial. Um, I think captains, coaches um, have accepted that it probably wasn't a good look for the game. And, um, yeah, let's get the game moving in. And everybody 100% agreed to drop the captain's challenge. Okay, that's cool. Right, let's look at um, how you guys have been uh, getting alongside uh, the players, while I've uh, been in camp, I understand, uh, Brendan Pickle, you've, you've picked a side out for each referee to uh, to run alongside. Is that correct? So everyone knows fully what's going on uh, and the way the referees are going to approach this. Uh, you've uh, what well, you've had Brendan Pickle, Mike Fraser, 
Ben O'Keefe, Paul Williams, James Dolman and Angus may be associated with uh, each of our teams. Yeah, one referee with each team, a new initiative this year. Um, two reasons, really. Uh, help the referee get some purposeful practice by being at trainings and um, practicing their craft, which is very hard to do, and also to support the teams uh, around their law knowledge, uh, their trends, uh, things that they can do to improve. Massively positive early season and in pre-season. Um, the important bit is that where possible, and it's going to be almost always possible, the referee with that team won't referee or AR or TMO that side, and we're going to try really hard, even with COVID, to achieve that. That just creates a bit more, um, a bit more of a team feel for the refs. So I was along at, with Brendan at the Blues, for example, totally involved in the team, totally involved in training, invited to the golf day on a Wednesday with a couple of the coaches and some of the players, Brendan learning a lot about the game and what the teams are doing, and also being able to pass on some knowledge to the players around yes, that's okay, that's probably not going to be okay. If you tried this, it might be more successful. Be careful with this. Uh, really positive so far. COVID threw a bit of a spanner in the works with Queenstown. Guys aren't in, aren't in with teams at the moment. We've got our own bubble down there. But mm. they're giving uh, coaches feedback on, after watching games. And, no, really positive overall, Smithy. Well, that's great. Uh, the other great thing, too, uh, is you've been able to appoint three Women referees, Tiana and Nawati, uh, Lauren Jenner and uh, Maggie Kogaroa uh, for Super Rugby or Picky. And uh, we're all waiting for that to start. We're not quite sure when, but uh, that gives you a, um, a, a real core of experience uh, to officiate the women's game as well. Yeah, we're still trying to develop as much as possible our top female officials. Um, Lauren and Maggie have just been appointed to um, go up and referee Six Nations. So that'll be exciting for them. Um, Tiana was also um, likely to be involved in world rugby um, appointments, but has just recently taken on a new high-performance role with Bay of Plenty Rugby. But we're really trying to create as many opportunities, just like the players, for our female referees to hopefully be selected for Rugby World Cup 21 in 2022. So it's just the same as the players. They need to be extended at, um, at a new level. Uh, let's hope that tournament continues. I know everyone's trying desperately hard to work out, you know, how that tournament can be run successfully under COVID restrictions. And our referees are super excited because it's a level, you know, hopefully higher than they've ever refereed before. Bryce, always good to catch up with you. Um, enjoy uh, your uh, your openness and honesty about uh, what's going on uh, around the officiating of the game. And I think we're all looking at the same uh, the the same product this this year. Uh, a faster one and uh, everyone working together on it. Hey, thank, thanks for outlining and, and clarifying those points for us. Cheers, mate. Have a good week. Yeah, same to you, Bryce. Uh, Bryce Lawrence there, who is the boss. Uh, I think it's the easiest way to say the boss of New Zealand uh, rugby referees, uh, the manager, as they say, but uh, very much uh, over what's going on uh, in terms of what his boys and, uh, and girls are up to. Well, with the whistle right, we can tell you uh, we didn't put the commentators' curse on. New Zealand have won the toss this morning. Uh, they will be bowling. Tom Latham is successful. Uh, so, yeah, finally the toss gods shine on us. Uh, we've also found Brendan McCullum. Apparently he's at the cricket. There you go. We're just discovering things all the time here. Um, so, yeah, no, to no commentators curse this morning. 
Uh, we'll be back very shortly here on SENZ. Uh, we've got to talk to uh, Louis Herman Watt, of course, uh, talk about um, perhaps the cricket, the makeup of the sides now. And don't forget, after 11 o'clock, uh, we're going to look closer at the NBA with George Berry. Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.49, uh, John Day, just confirm those teams for us. We know New Zealand have won the toss and they are bowling first. We certainly have, which is great. Great start, isn't it? Uh, exactly what we wanted. So the Black Caps lineup is Tom Latham, captain, opening with Will Young, Devin Conway at three, and Henry Nichols at four, Daryl Mitchell at five, Tom Blundell, the wicketkeeper, at six, Colin de Gronholm, welcome back, at seven, and then Jamison, Southey, Wagner, and Henry are your pace bowlers. Smithy, this is massive for the Proteas. Lungi and Geedy out with a back strain. One of their best bowlers, Ooh, so wow. that's massive. Dean Algar will captain then, opening up with Cyril Irwi on debut. Aidan Markham at three. Russi Funderdusen, who we talked to yesterday at four. Tim, Timba Bavuma, a great little batsman at five. Zubaya Hamza at six. Cole Varane, the wicketkeeper at seven. Then Marco Jansen, the big man. Uh, and we head down to Nayak Hakiso Rabada. Glenton Sturman on debut. And Dwan Olafia. Uh, not a bad South African team, but yeah, no link, no Ngidi Smithy. It's massive. So really, two bits of good news for New Zealand this morning. Ngidi, fine bowler, fine bowler. So without him, uh, the Black Caps um, certainly will be buoyed by that. And Sturman comes in as his replacement on debut. So we'll uh, look to see what he does. Not do much known, obviously, about him. Yeah, Colin de Grandholm back at seven. Uh, the most important thing is that the, the New Zealand bowling trio, uh, sorry, quartet, uh, it'll be Southey, I would imagine, with Henry to begin. Uh, Jameson and Wagner uh, will be next cabs off the rank. I think that's the way they'll look at it initially. Uh, we'll keep you updated with the scores as such. It's 10.51 here on SENZ. Uh, Louis Herman Watt and a visit to the TAB uh, before the hour is up. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Well, news coming through late yesterday of the retirement from racing of uh, champion mare, and she is uh, probable. Uh, Louis, very sad for the racing aspect of the industry, but uh, she'll go straight to a, a sire somewhere. Any news on that? No, no such news. She was a star, Smithy. I said it a few times now, but she goes into the pantheon of our great horses. Still quite young, really, uh, in the scheme of things, as far as Amir goes, which would be good for her broomy career. But she did start early, Karakamillion. Um, you know firsthand how hard it is to win back-to-back Karakamillion, Smithy. You have to be a proper mm-hmm. horse, and probably it was more than a proper horse. She's an absolute star. Uh, Brenda Lindsay did say this morning that they don't want to send her to Australia anymore. She's done enough travelling. And he kind of indicated she would def- probably stay in New Zealand in the breeding barn. And when you've got Al Manzor and Hello Yumzane on your roster, two Northern Hemisphere's absolute weapons, oh, you'd, you'd be, mm. I, I would be surprised if she wasn't, didn't go to one of their Cambridge Studs residency aliens, really. Okay, and the market's open for the weekend already? Yeah, we've got the uh, Avondale Guineas. And it's a ripper. Field of gold, Tutakaka, Marshan, Titoki, Nestig. The perfect pink, three fifty into three dollars. That's that Izzy Dag Pool House Cash and La Creek at three dollars fifty. And in race number one, I'm waiting for 
the TAB to open their market. And if we can get someone around 10 bucks for if I get paid, a little each way bet, she's a chance. Thank you very much, Louie. Uh, straight across to Pip Morris at the TAB. Pip, two Greyhound meetings today, Cambridge and Addington, and a test match uh, where the toss has just been made. New Zealand have won the toss in a bowling, and would that have an effect on the market? It certainly has. Good morning to you. It means that the Kiwis have shortened in to around 165, and right before the toss, it was actually South Africa that was taking the most bets head-to-head at $2.90. But as soon as that toss was going the Kiwis' way, they've shortened in marginally. And there's a couple of other popular options, too, on the game around power plays. Uh, the best back for those is the first session, day one, any player out bold and any player out to LBW at $10, followed closely by day one, first session, 10 plus maiden over bold seems to be the most uh, power play of choices, those two. Okay, Pip, uh, thank you very much for that. Yeah, well, Cambridge uh, and Addington are the uh, hosting of the, the two Greyhound meetings today, so plenty of action there and uh, more focus too on the Greyhounds uh, at the weekend particularly with our new Greyhound show between 11 and 12 on Sunday morning. So uh, that is uh, that hour done and dusted. Yep, and uh, very shortly, uh, I imagine it'll be Tim Southey, perhaps Matt Henry with the new ball. They might open with Cole Jameson. Certainly won't be Neil Wagner, but that'll be interesting. Let it begin. Let the fun begin down there at Hagley Oval uh, in the next hour. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Well, basketball now, and it's been uh, a while since we've touched base with our basketball enthusiast, George Berry, and a lot has happened in the NBA since we last talked. So uh, welcome back on to the show, George. And finally, I think the last time we talked about Ben Simmons, he was sulking uh, somewhere around about the court. Um, at the Philadelphia 76ers. He doesn't have to bother anymore. They got rid of him. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Um, joy for all NBA fans, really. And I think this trade that happened was actually a bit of a win-win for everyone involved, and especially the fans, because fans love seeing blockbuster trades like this, and it involved two really high-profile stars, James Harden getting traded from the Brooklyn Nets to Philadelphia and Ben Simmons going to Brooklyn Nets to play with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to form another big three. Um, I think it's a win-win for everyone involved. And, yeah, finally all the, the sulking's done, the, the consistent, you know, articles about who's unhappy and why is, it's done, and we can kind of just hopefully look forward to seeing some really high-level basketball from both teams. Well, so Simmons is going to go to uh, the Nets. Now, the Nets, of course, are managed by our very own Sean Marks, who we gave, at the time, a lot of credit for putting together this almost super team involving... Harden, Durant, Kyrie Irving, but it has just not gelled for them. Nah, yeah, this is the, the kind of downfall you can get with forming, you know, big threes and big stars with big egos and people who want certain things. Um, it sounds like James Harden wasn't the best teammate in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, reports have kind of come out that um, in between games he'd take his own plane to to Vegas or back home to Houston and, and go to parties and then come back and train kind of when he wanted to or come back to games when he wanted to. And it seemed like his, his head wasn't really there in, in his press conference, in his introductory press conference to Philadelphia. The first thing he said was, you know, he had he, he set the record straight, the, the place he wanted to go before Brooklyn was Philadelphia. So he kind of, you know, in his first words, kind of shot down the fact that Brooklyn was not really where he wanted to be initially. So... 
Um, yeah, both both players, Ben Simmons and James Harden, definitely made their cases known in their introductory press conferences. And, um, you know, March 10th is, is a date that um, all fans should be circling on the calendar is when both teams play each other for the first time since the trade. And Ben Simmons has said that he, he should be ready to go and play. He's had a, a few mental uh, health issues and physically he hasn't actually played in nine months. So um, I think March 10th will be yeah, a date where ratings will definitely boom in the NBA. Well, that, uh, so that's Harden alongside Embiid, and Embiid absolutely hated Simmons so, and couldn't uh, wait to see the back of him. So that'll be an interesting uh, combination there. But Simmons will probably be a provider, wouldn't he, more for Durant and Irving? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He's, as um, most people know, he's not the, the most prolific shooter of the basketball. He's, he's an incredible defender and an incredible distributor. He, he said in his press conference yesterday, um, that's kind of where he wants to be. He wanted he wants to be in that distributor role, setting up you know a lot of high-profile shooters that are also on the team. Um, the trade that you know took Simmons to the Nets also included Seth Curry, who's brother of Seth. Um, he's actually um, an incredible player and is playing amazingly. In his first game for Brooklyn, he, I think he scored about 27 points and seven assists and five rebounds or something. Um, so he definitely is is making his case known there already. They also got a big man in Andre Drummond who. He's a bit of a journeyman in the league, but he's a big man. And when you come up against the likes of Giannis Antetokounmpo for the Bucks and, and Embiid, when they do match up against them, it's just handy to have a big body that can kind of just be in the paint and absorb a lot of those minutes. So I think, it's a, to be honest, I think the Nets won this trade. Philadelphia does get Harden, and he's back with Daryl Morey, the GM of the Sixers, who was the GM of the Houston Rockets, and they have a very close relationship. So um, who knows? Time will tell, but... On paper, I think the Nets have definitely won the strap. Well, speaking of imposing bodies, Stephen Adams certainly has that. Uh, renowned to be the toughest man in the league, and uh, it's not just uh, there where he is excelling. Four double-doubles in a row, uh, and the Grizzlies are on a six-game winning streak. Yeah, I remember when we, we first talked Smith, it was, it was dire straight, so it wasn't looking good at all. I think they had the worst defence in the league, and... Now they're two and a half games away from being second in the West behind the Golden State Warriors, who are kind of sloppy at the moment due to a few key injuries from, from some players. And I don't think anyone really saw this coming. It's a real Cinderella story in the Western Conference and in the NBA as a whole. And that comes down to you know, their star, John Morant, who's starting in the NBA All-Star game and his first uh, NBA All-Star game. And yeah, Stevens has just really found a home. He's, he's found a home being... You know, a prolific offensive rebounder. He's got you know the highest offensive rebounding efficiency rate in the league right now. He leads the league in, in that stat. And while his points are down, his rebounds are up. He's nearly uh, from last season. He's averaging nearly ten a game. And like you said, four of his last five games have been double doubles. And I saw a stat that when when he does score a double double, the, the team is at the moment I think nine and one in the last ten games. So just having his presence in the interior and just a big body absorbing a lot of those rebounds. It's clearly a, a big winning recipe for, for the Grizzlies. Phoenix are uh, really polished this year. What's been the secret to, to Phoenix consistency? Continuity. They've pretty much kept their same team from last season, and even in the trade deadline that just went past, they brought back another player, Tory Craig, who actually played a lot in the NBL um, in seasons past. They brought him back. They traded him in the off-season, and they brought him right back. Um, just continuity, Smithy. They've, they've hardly, you know, changed personnel, and they've got, you know, all-star guards and Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Chris Paul, you know, his nickname is the Point God, and he, he has it for a reason. He's 
just an incredible player. Sets up his teammates, and he's and and Stephen's past, he's just made all his teammates that he's around so much better. And I think they are now, in my eyes, the front runner to to come out of the West and potentially win the whole thing, just because. They've got such a good coach in Monty Williams. They've kept all their players. They know the systems they're running, and they just play such a nice brand of basketball. It's really, really good to watch. So I think that's the winning success, really. It's so hard to keep all your players in, in the league when money gets thrown around to players and contracts are up. But they've just, you know, right place at the right time. They should make a really good run for this season. We go across to uh, the east. Uh, who do you see coming out on top there? The, the Bulls, the Heat? Uh, the Bucks, the Cavaliers, and uh, of course Harden, is in, Harden and his introduction to the 76ers, perhaps. Yeah, the East usually has been kind of known as the, the lesser competitive conference in years past. The West has always been known as kind of the stat conference, but I'm actually really more looking forward to watching the East and how this shapes up, because now this big trade has happened between Simmons and Harden, and you know, Harden's with Embiid, and Embiid's likely to win MVP, um, just because he's playing just mammoth, mammoth games and putting up some incredible stat lines. It's actually quite hard to tell who's going to come out of the East. I don't think it'll be Cleveland. They are a Cinderella story like the Grizzlies. I just don't think they have enough playoff experience and they're quite a young team. The the Bulls are on a bit of a skid at the moment with a lot of injuries. Um, their all-star Zach Levine is probably not going to play in the all-star game. He's getting a, an opinion on his knee, which could see him out for a long time. They've just been unlucky with injuries. I think it's probably between the Bucks and the Nets, to be honest, with the, I'd love to see the Sixers get in there just because I, I love the way Joel Embiid plays and I love seeing, you know, the revival of the big man, you know, back from, you know, the, the days of Shaq and, and, and whatnot. It's, it's very much making a comeback with a lot of big men in the league, the likes of Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, also another front-runner for MVP from the Denver Nuggets. So I'd love to see the Sixers and the Suns in a final. That's kind of my, my favourite matchup. But, you know, the East is anyone's right now. It's, it's very wide open. We're coming up to the halfway point um, in the competition, which is usually signified by All-Star Weekend. Uh, uh, do you take much interest in All-Star Weekend? I, I imagine it's, it's the kind of thing, because it generally involves the star players, where coaches get quite nervous about uh, injuries and things like that. For sure, and a lot of players are being a lot more cautious these days with not playing, even if they've just got a wee niggle. Uh, James Harden's not playing. He's got, well, he said he's got a hamstring injury, but... Um, you know, people have <laughs> led to believe that that was just a way of him not playing for the Nets before he got traded, but he's not playing. Uh, like I said before, Zach Levine's not playing. A lot of injuries have um, have come up around this time. So I think it is, I think, to answer your question, I think it is definitely something to get excited for, though, still. Um, people love seeing the top players in the league, you know, kind of coming together and playing. You know, obviously we have, um, this is a kind of an area where superstars come and play together and, and look to win championships, but Team LeBron is, is pretty much five MVP and Hall of Fame candidates in their starting five, and you probably won't see them ever playing for the same team. So to kind of see these you know, mega super teams coming together to play uh, just a, a game that's got a lot more competitive with rule changes recently, um, I think it's still very exciting. The dunk contest I still quite I still find quite exciting. You know, it's it's full with the young players, but uh, a lot of spring in their set and um, a lot of creativity. So, yeah, I think it's still something to get excited for. Yeah, for sure. Okay, George, well, we'll keep an eye on that, and we also thank you for keeping such a, a close eye uh, on the NBA. We'll talk to you again after uh, All-Star Weekend uh, as the, uh, the favourites tend to uh, sort of whittle themselves out. Thanks very much, mate. Um, enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks for the go well. Cheers.
Yeah, cheers, George Berry there with uh, his uh, knowledge, which is uh, second to none on the NBA. Uh, and uh, all those players uh, who have been traded, uh, the various uh, teams that uh, are not happy, who are gelling. Um, the Lakers, of course, is yet another one. We never really touched too much on them, but I just can't get my head around uh, how much money you can spend and still can't find uh, joy and happiness uh, in a team like that. OK, uh, we've got uh, an update, John Day, and uh, New Zealand have started pretty well, I understand. We have started extremely well, Smithy. We won the toss, of course, South Africa into bat, and we got their captain, Dean Elgar, who Russi Vanderdussen told us yesterday was a massive part of their team. Of course, he's got experience in New Zealand. He was here five years ago. And Matt Henry, the man who'd only taken, what did you say, one wicket for 200-odd runs? In his previous yeah. tests in Christchurch, he got him in his very first over. Caught third slip by Tim Southey and Smithy. Daryl Mitchell, I think, is at first slip now with Tom Latham at second and Tim Southey at third. So Ross Taylor's spot taken by Daryl Mitchell at first slip, which is pretty interesting. Well, he's, he's got a good pair of hands and uh, that's pretty important to have in the slip, Corden. But uh, I, I like uh, you know I like having a senior statesman in there. He's not exactly a senior statesman of the team, but... In terms of his cricket thinking and his uh, demeanour in that, uh, I think he'd do a good job. Uh, and, and it's quite important that you have a, a settled slip court in there and that everyone gets on because if you, particularly in a test match like this, you're going to spend a lot of time together. You like, you, you like to have, it sounds a bit weird, but you like to have a nice feel amongst you, the group uh, um, and you're comfortable with who's next to you and who's either side of you uh, and you know your own zones. I mean, this, the setting of a slip court in it, um, particularly in terms of the pace of the pitch too. The pace of the pitch is probably assessed best by the wicketkeeper in turn. It takes an over or two uh, to work out exactly the level of the bounce, uh, the pace of the pitch, and from that point onwards you start to set your slip court and what will happen is the keeper will make a, a couple of marks in the ground uh, and he'll stay there and they'll say, well, right, if that's your spot, this is where I'm going to be. First slip will always be uh, behind him in terms of depth, um, but then you've got to work out just how wide uh, that that uh, first slip is going to be, and it just goes round uh, towards gully and that thing. So it's set by the wicketkeeper, and the worst thing you can do, of course, is set too deep so a genuine edge doesn't carry through to a set of hands. Rather, have it uh, go to a set of hands and be dropped uh, rather than not go to a set of hands at all. So uh, that is a big key. So uh, that's Tim Blundell's responsibility, and, of course, you've got Tom Latham there at second slip uh, with his wicketkeeping background as well. So they should have... A pretty well organised, pretty well spaced uh, slip cordon and it looks like they might be quite busy in this test match if uh, things go to plan with that green pitch. So uh, it's 11.16 here on SENZ. When we come back, uh, John Day has news of the naming of the Hurricanes. We've heard about the Highlanders. Well, the Hurricanes have named their first side for this uh, Super Rugby season. Back for the Black Caps, uh, they've got the, the prize wicket of uh, Elgar who has uh, been caught at slip. Uh, by Tim Southey off the bowling of Matt Henry. So South Africa in early trouble after losing the toss. Good signs from New Zealand finding the right areas uh, from the outset. And that's uh, the Henry-Southey combination to begin with, as we predicted. Uh, no, we're not covering uh, the cricket on the radio uh, at the moment. We have not got the rights for that. So uh, we won't be, but we, uh, we do assure you we will, in all our shows, give uh, updates on the score and any happenings. So uh, at this stage, uh, Josh, we know we do not have uh, the rights for the cricket. But uh, as I said before, we've only been around uh, a little while. Uh, a lot of these rights have been set in place for a while, but we're gradually getting into it. And we have uh, sporting events uh, more often than not 
on SENZ, including, of course, just the other day, uh, the Super Bowl, uh, with Warriors games. Uh, we've had cricket coming in from overseas, so plenty, absolutely plenty, uh, and more to look forward to. Uh, speaking of looking forward to, John, uh, you've got a couple of team namings that we can analyse. I do. We had the Highlanders early on, and great to see Aaron Smith captaining that team and starting there. But the Chiefs are heavy favourites against the Highlanders at the TAB. Smithy, $1.47 for the Chiefs and $2.55 for the Highlanders. Uh, of course, that's not going to be played at Forsyth Bar. It's going to be in Queenstown at the Wakatipu Rugby Club. So the Chiefs team to face the Highlanders on Saturday afternoon. Ollie Norris at loose head prop. Bradley Slater at hooker with Sione Mafaleo at uh, tight head prop. Lachlan McFonnell at lock along with Brody Retallick. Brody Retallick is starting for the Chiefs. Luke Jacobson at six. He talked to us the other day, said he wants to play eight for the Chiefs, but six for the All Blacks. Well, the Chiefs have said, mate, if you want to play six for the All Blacks, you can play six for the Chiefs as well. So Jacobson at six, Sam Kane at seven, and Peter Gussuakula, who's always good for the Chiefs, at number eight. Xavier Rowe, exciting little halfback at number nine. Josh Iwani, starting debut at ten. So he's in there ahead of uh, Bryn Gatland. On the wings, Jonah Lowe, good Hawks Bay man, and Sean Stevenson. Quintu Pyre and Alex Nankerville at second five and centre. And Amoni Narawa at fullback. So, pretty good team there, and a couple of big names, Smithy and Retallick and Kane, both starting for the Chiefs. So, who's got the McKenzie role? Amoni Narawa. Yeah. Okay, right, interesting. Yeah, pocket rocket. So, what what input will he have, uh, given space and a little... A little bit of time at the back. So uh, that is the Chiefs. And who, who else has uh, rolled in now? We have the Hurricanes. So we're just waiting on the Crusaders yet to name their team. They're normally later in the afternoon, about 4 o'clock. But the Hurricanes have got in there early. Always a bogey team for the Crusaders. So we've got Pori Rakiti Stones at Loosehead. Asofo Amor at Hooker and Tyrell Lomax at Tighthead. Then into the Workhorses, James Blackwell and Justin Sangster, uh, who will make his Hurricanes debut at Lock. Devin Flanders, a very, very good player who I think, Smithy, and you'll agree, is probably destined for the All Blacks one day. He's playing at six. Duplessy Karifi at seven. Adi Savia captaining at number eight. Jamie Booth back. Is this the first time since he broke his ankle at McLean Park yep. and gave the fingers to the crowd as he was stretched off? Uh, so Jamie Booth yep. and Ruben Love at ten. Uh, very inexperienced at 9 and 10. Then Wes Houston and Julian Savia on the wings. Peter Umanga Jensen, who needs a big season, at 12. Billy Proctor at 13. And Geordie Barrett at fullback, Smithy. So a bit of a mixture there for the Hurricanes of, of, of talent and guys yet to really prove themselves at this level. Yeah, nice to see Artie straight back into it uh, and leading from the front in that position. And uh, I would imagine that's, you know, that's, he's got to own a jersey, doesn't he? He just has to own one jersey. Yep. Uh, and I, I, a lot of people say seven. Uh, I'm not sure. No, not six, really. But seven or eight, really, for Adi Savier. And if Sam Kane's around, and of course, uh, he'd be the favourite to take the seven jersey, you would think, in the All Blacks. But Dalton Popolite might have something to say about that. As captain of the Blues, you can imagine he's going to lead from the front as well. So uh, it's the year of the loose forward for me. And as I said the other day, the year of the seven, uh, trying to establish that number seven role because it, it appears that when we're have got that number seven role and we've got a world-class player in there. Uh, things work for us uh, on the field of play. So I, I like that. Yeah, we're very inexperienced. Uh, the Booth-Love combination, uh, Jamie Booth, uh, Ruben Love. So uh, he gets the first crack at it. Um, of course, uh, they had uh, Jackson Garden bash up there as well, didn't they? And uh, that was perhaps one of the talking points who was going to get the 10 jersey. Yeah. So uh, Ruben Love gets that. 
a real experienced look about um, the back three. Uh, another year for Julian Savier to, uh, to make a statement. The bus, as they call him. Uh, Wes Hurston, who never lets you down. Terrific under the high ball. Uh, Wes Hurston and uh, Geordie Barrett. At 15, although some people would like to see him at 13. Yeah, they would, which is really interesting for me. I think he's, like last season, was massive for Geordie. I think, remember, he was introduced against the British and Irish Lions in 2017, and he looked very green then, didn't he? Prone to a mistake. I think he made that glaring one against the Springboks, uh, trying to go for the quick throw in. Um, but he looks like he's got those mistakes out of his game, Smithy, and he looks like, for me, uh, the best and most safe fullback option the All Blacks have with Damian McKenzie you know I don't know uh, uh, he, he's maybe not as safe under the high ball as Geordie Barrett and not defensively as sound so I like Geordie at fullback do you like him moving into the midfield or do you like him at 15? I like his boot I like his yeah. just boot I, I, you know I, I, that's a get out of jail card for us uh, the way that he can knock a ball uh, from uh, nearest goal line well over halfway and I think that's huge um, and I, I just think he's He's going to be a given uh, in the All Blacks, and myself, I think it's at 15. Um, you know, to be fair, John, now, uh, we can't really ignore the bench these days because it's such an important part of, it's a 23-man game, yep. uh, to be honest, and you look for that impact off the bench. So could you, you talk about the two benches for us as well, and are there any returning All Blacks um, returning through that m- method as opposed to uh, starting in the sides. Well, none for the Hurricanes, but they've got a couple of debutants. So Jacob Devery is a hooker. He's coming off the bench, so no Dane Coles in the 23 for the Hurricanes. Uh, Xavier Numea, a uh, very good young up-and-coming prop. And next to him, Ben May will play his 100th for the Canes. He keeps on coming back, Bam Bam, doesn't he, Smithy? Yeah, Ben May out of Taranaki these days. So, yeah, uh, a dairy farm. So Ben May, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, And the Chiefs? I'll just continue on with the Hurricanes. Reed Princep, who's oh, been a mainstay for him, yep. he's been relegated to the bench for yes. Flanders, and I think that's probably a good call. Just more dynamic, Devon Flanders, I think. Uh, Braden Uossi will be the backup loose forward. Richard Judd, Jackson Garden Bashups there, and Balin Sullivan, who's come down for the Chiefs and is now a Hurricane. Okay. He will make his debut off the bench, and Chiefs to face the Highlanders. Their bench, Samasoni Tokiaho, one of the big movers uh, last oh, year. Yeah. Absolutely um, sensational. Atu Moli and Angus Tarval. So that's an all all black front row on the bench for the Chiefs against the Highlanders. Um, yeah, which is the way Leon McDonald often goes for the Blues, actually. Often finishes with a stronger front row than he starts with. So Clayton McMillan's gone that way. Natur Akoi, very good young. Uh, lock forward, has the headgear. Mm. Um, I think he's coming along nicely. So he's on the bench. Caelan Boshier, very good cricketer. Captain of the under-19 uh, New Zealand cricket side, but he's on the bench for the Chiefs. Brad Weber, who's the co-captain alongside Sam Kane, coming off the bench, which is interesting. Bring Gatland and Chase Teatier. So Clayton McMillan very much going for the 23-man team, isn't he? Which is probably the way to go. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So uh, those, uh, those teams, uh, of course, are really available now that they've been announced. Just waiting. Just waiting, of course, for uh, the Crusaders. And all what Razor's come up with with his first combination. Uh, in fact, uh, Crusaders team, I've just been told uh, by my namesake, is on their Facebook page, John. So maybe oh, we can get some details of that in, in the next half hour. But in the meantime, $200 worth of TAB vouchers are up for grabs right here and now, plus uh, of the sleep drops, of course. So uh, get on the phone 0800 150 811 200 smackaroos. You only have to answer three simple questions and it's all yours. Really is top class at his job. 
Well, for only the second time in the history of Mornings with Ian Smith, we have 200 bucks worth of TAB vouchers up for grabs if you can stump Smithy today. Along with our Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, they are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements and waiting nervously. I'm sure with so much on the line is Brett from Huntley. Welcome in. Well, you're right about that, nervous, all right? <laughs> I bet, I bet. A lot, a <laughs> lot of cash up for grabs thanks to our mates at the TAB. So do you know how the game works, Brett? Yep, yep. E- excellent. I'll let people know who may not know. Uh, you get three sporting categories. You choose one, and then you get three questions right. You win, but as soon as you get one wrong, Smithy can come in and stump you, which he has done so many times this week, and I know he's trying to make it jackpot right through this week to next week. So you're on notice, Brett. Your sports yeah, today. Yeah, I know he's got a hot hand. Yeah, absolutely. Your sports today. Basketball, Super Bowl, and cricket. Which one of those do I'll you think a, gives you a great chance? Super Bowl, uh, thanks, JD. Super Bowl. I like that. What about you, Smithy? You're probably fresh in the memory. Well, last one is pretty fresh in the memory, but uh, my historical <laughs> knowledge of Super Bowl is not great. So you might have come up with a good one here, Brett. Good luck to you. All right, Brett, let's go. Thank you. Super Bowl, I'm um, assuming you watched on Monday? Yeah, yeah. Nice. All right, the Super Bowl was won by the LA Rams on Monday. What is the name of the trophy that they collected? The Vince Lombardi trophy. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Confidence, Smithy, that's the word that comes to mind about Brett's first answer. Yeah, no, nice, very nice. I had that one. I had that one covered. Uh, I had that one covered, Brett. So well done. All right, Brett. Yep. Question number two. We all know who won the Super Bowl this year. It was the Rams. But who won the Super Bowl last year? Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who I'm not a fan of. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. So not a Brady fan, I'm guessing, then, Smithy. Uh, my <laughs> my best mate is a Tampa Bay fan, and I uh, let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's like Smithy being a Melbourne Storm fan. It just you got some friends who you just don't understand sometimes with the teams that they support. But you're doing well, Brett. You're doing very well. But it means nothing if you get this one wrong. So, third question for 200 bucks from the TAB and some sleep drops: Which team has won the most Super Bowls in history? I'm not a fan of them either. The New England Patriots. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Here we go. Well done, mate. Get that bank account open. Get that TV account open and bet up a storm. I hope you can win plenty with that 200 bucks you just got from the TAB, as well as some sleep drops. Go to sleepdrops.co.nz. And they are for all lifestyle stages, ages, and sleeping challenges. Well done, Brett. Excellent. Mama, thank you very much, Teddy. Thank you, Smithy. Uh, Brett, I felt like Bruce Edgar in the underarm over. I just stood at the other end while you had all the play. <laughs> just God Almighty! Oh, gave me a just spray took as me I out, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can give me a spray if you like, boy. You've dominated today, I can tell you. Uh, Good you luck, busy. man. Good thank luck you, and turn it into plenty. All the best, brother. Stay on the line, and uh, uh, Brian will get your details if he hasn't got them already. So just hang around there. Eleven thirty-six here. On SENZ and uh, yes, the Star Lake deal. Um, no, it's not Star Lake. That's my local Chinese. <laughs> <The silver lake. laughs> what do you order, Smithy? <laughs> uh, I can't tell you that. No, no. In all honesty, though, the Silver Lake deal has uh, been confirmed this morning. That's the news that has come through.
uh, amongst others from uh, the rugby fraternity as well, team names, etc. But very important for the future of rugby in New Zealand, the Silver Lake deal has been confirmed. Uh, Rob Nickel, very, very qualified to answer a few questions about that. He's coming up shortly. Yes. So to help us understand it all, what exactly uh, went on in the negotiations, etc. over the past year or more is New Zealand Rugby Players Association boss Rob Nickel, who I'm sure was at the table playing a big part in this, Rob. Uh, first of all, are you happy uh, now that uh, the deal has been struck? Yeah, look, you know, respecting that the provincial unions and the Māori Rugby Board have now got to consider it and, um, and ultimately vote on or approve it or not. But, um, you know, our board are fully supportive of it, uh, Smithy, where we think it's incredibly innovative um, and it's a really positive deal. Uh, but in all honesty, mate, it, I know it sounds a bit strange, but we're at the start line. Um, if it's approved, it's going to be incumbent on us and New Zealand Rugby and, and our new investment partners to make it work because, uh, you know, if we can't keep pace with the professionalism of rugby, then uh, we'll fall off the pace and we won't have it. So the pressure only, it really only starts now if it's approved, yeah, and we'll be away. Okay, right. Let's hope that uh, does go ahead. Uh, when, when will that take place? How, how soon would you know? Yeah, I think they've got a special general meeting set down for March. I'm not 100% across it, but, um, but you know, we've got, we got, we got the support of the New Zealand Rugby Union board, uh, we've got the support of our board, um, obviously Silver Lake, and, um, and now it rightfully goes back to the members of New Zealand Rugby, and, and we're confident, we feel good about it, we think we've all worked incredibly hard, we've worked, it's been robust, um, but that's a good thing, it's because we all care about the game, um, and we want the right outcome, and I think... Even you know, talking with New Zealand Rugby and Silver Lake and, and a number of other people now, when we look at where we've got to, I think a year ago none of us would have imagined we could actually get something as good as this. Uh, that's probably the that's probably one of the, the feelings around this whole thing that I, I quite like. Um, the, the the robust dialogue and the ideas and the ability for Silver Lake in particular to listen and understand and solve problems and come up with ideas uh, and solutions has been really good and, and material to, to getting this deal to where it is. Well, so uh, it's probably uh, good, too, to finally realise exactly what Silver Lake is, what what kind of uh, entity it is. Uh, We know uh, that they are involved in plenty of sports teams and competitions uh, around the world. Uh, So effectively, uh, Rob, what do they do? Uh, What is is their background? Yeah, look, I think um, Silver Lake are a global investment business, basically. So they they take uh, money and they invest it and they invest it primarily for them in technology companies and they've had phenomenal success in that respect. Um, and this has nothing to do with sport, frankly. Um, but of late, they've turned their attention to sport. You know, they, they own UFC, for example. Uh, they've got a shareholding in Man City. Um, and they see an opportunity in sport and they see an opportunity in rugby. And, um, you know, it's not just Silver Lake. You've got CBC and other private investment organisations from around the world looking to get involved in sport because they, they see an opportunity to improve the commercial metrics and commercial return for the sport and they believe they can add value in that respect and um, you know, we're all for that as long as the economics around it are right and if you look at the comprehensive partnership that we've got now on the table with Silver Lake, you know, the economics around it are really good, uh, the dynamics really interesting so whilst they're investing in the New Zealand commercial entity you outlined uh, alongside New Zealand institutional investors we're also setting up a global investment entity with them, which is the entity through which they'll invest in other rugby-related opportunities, tournaments, competitions, technology-related companies, etc. And um, and that's 
that's something New Zealand rugby and rugby New Zealand we could never do by ourselves. So there's a bit of a quid pro quo in this partnership, Smithy. They're, they're investing in the legacy of rugby and everything that New Zealanders have built up over hundreds of years, if you like. Um, but we're also getting an opportunity to be alongside them at what they're world class at, uh, which is effectively a, a technology and capability um, company that can can come in and, or not, sorry, technology company, but they've, they've got the capital and the expertise to come into these spaces and grow businesses and make them successful. And, and we're going to be alongside doing that, uh, doing that with them, which is pretty exciting. So the two, it's a three hundred dollar figure, if you a uh, three hundred million dollar figure, I should say, if you add it all up, uh, two hundred uh, initially into uh, uh, the commercial entity, which uh, was all revenue generating assets of New Zealand rugby. Yeah, I, I, I think I've got that right. And then a hundred million dollars, perhaps later this year, into uh, another uh, inst- institutional investors pool. Is that correct? No, it's the same one. So, so what's happening is um, it's called a convertible preference investment, but basically it's debt to start with. So in plain language, Silver Lake will, will effectively loan uh, Commercial Co. $200 million at a capped interest rate of 4% for, for three years. Um, and then it's, they're going to syndicate that out to New Zealand institutional investors later in the year so they can come alongside Silver Lake on the same financial terms. So that 200 will increase to somewhere between 260 and 300, depending on what we all think is appropriate. And so effectively, that money will be available to New Zealand to invest. And then after three years, they can convert that to shares or convert that to equity at the original valuation, which is now at 3.5 billion. So it's gone up a little bit from the, from the original proposal. Now, um, what that will relate in is if Silver Lake continue at the 200 million, they'll end up with 5.7% of commercial co. And if New Zealand investors right. come in, they'll end up somewhere around that 2.5% on top of that. So we would have sold down just over 8% of commercial co as opposed to 125 Um So the operating model moving forward looks good, but because you've got a higher valuation, there's still a lot of capital coming into the business. So um, it's a, it, like I said, the economics around this proposal that we're now looking at, um, in our view, is, uh, are really solid. It hasn't been, uh, well, from the outside looking in, uh, Robert, hasn't always been a smooth uh, negotiating process. Uh, how are relationships now that uh, the deal has been pretty much done? Yeah, it's been tough. Eh? It's, it's been robust, but so it should be. You know, like, if you think about rugby New Zealand and the place it holds in this country and what the All Blacks stand for and and the people that have worn the black jersey, be it for the Black Ferns, the Sevens, the All Blacks, all of our international rugby teams and, and even other professional teams and basically anyone who's pulled on a jersey, you know, we, we all go out there to be the best and to get the best outcome and people are passionate about it and um, that passion comes out around the table as well. We like, from our players' boards perspective, this wasn't about the players, this was about, man, we're going to be judged in history, this is a fork in the road moment, we've got to get this right, we've got to be really confident in it and New Zealand rugby felt the same way and so... Um, it, so we, you know, we're all passionate and it's pretty robust, but it's produced a fantastic outcome. Um, the engagement over the last three, months, three or four months has been really, really good. Like the openness and the way in which um, both New Zealand Rugby and ourselves have been able to work together, but also with Silver Lake, it's, it's been incredible really. It's, it's been really cooperative, really open, a lot of listening, a lot of exchanging ideas and thoughts and, and problem solving, and it's resulted in a really good outcome. So. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a tough and at times, um, you know, a bit of a confusing process, but it's got us to a really good outcome. 
and now we're at the start line and it's going to be incumbent on us all making it, to make it work. So the partnership's good. Um, there's some other cool initiatives around the deal. You know, New Zealand Rugby have stepped up and said, hey, look, this is a fork in the road moment and we need to make sure we're fit for purpose in our governance moving forward. So they're going to undertake the governance review of their structures and processes and how the Board of New Zealand Rugby is elected and we're going to follow their lead. You know, we're, 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 we're always going to embark on a strategic review of where we're at and under this deal there's a lot more onus on us to step up in different areas. So we'll do that strategic review and that'll also lead to a governance review for us. So we're all looking at ourselves and saying what are we going to have to do to make sure we're equipped to deliver on this in the future. And I think that's a really cool aspect of this deal as well. Rob, well, just finally, um, and, and really importantly, because uh, this has come through this morning through uh, a number of our texts and messages, etc. Uh, what about the, the guys at the bottom of the, the ladder here? Uh, text, for instance, just on the theme of that, how much will go to help retire the debt that clubs have and the many provincial teams that, uh, who are struggling to break even during the season? In other words, how low is it going to filter and how optimistic can the people down at that level be about getting some input out of this? Yeah, look, it pretty much delivering what the previous proposal was going to deliver in terms of going through to provincial unions and, and the development levels of the game in the initial instances. Um, and then it's really up to New Zealand rugby probably to answer that question in detail, like it's not a decision we get to make. But what I, what I will say, Smithy, is that you know, rugby, New Zealand rugby is unique in the world and that it's, it's probably... That and cricket is the only two sports we're able to retain our, the talent in the world to be the best in the world on a consistent basis in a professional sport, and it, it's not easy. And since rugby went professional, there's been a lot of work to say how do we respect the legacy of the game and what needs to be happen at the community level and the grassroots level to keep the game healthy at that level, whilst also generating enough money to retain the talent, coaching, playing, etc., etc., to compete on the world stage and be the best, so that you've got the shot window and the pathway for the kids and the and the, and the kind of flying the flag of, of the pride that, that wants people to be involved in the game. So that, that, that's quite a complex model to run. And I think New Zealand rugby deserve a big pat on the back here and that they recognise that if we kept doing things the way we were doing it, we were going to continue to struggle either more and more and more. So they knew something had to change. And um, whilst the process was robust and, and a little bit messy at times, as we've talked about, it's ultimately resulted, I believe, in a deal that's going to allow us now in the next 20 to 30 years to go to another level but we need to go to another level to be able to continue that cycle. So I think this deal will absolutely help um, the community levels of the game, but it's not going to be the knockout punch. It's not the silver bullet. You're heavily involved in the sport. You know, to a certain extent, no amount of money is going to solve some of the challenges that rugby and cricket and maybe netball and some of the other more established sports have got just in terms of the pressures around society, the choices available to kids, the... Um, you know, all the kind of the dynamics around school, the pressure on people's times, um, how people want to, to spend their leisure time and their entertainment and, and the uptake of where sport sits in their lives. There's so many other things that need to be addressed. Um, so it's not a knockout punch, it's not a silver bullet, but it, it hopefully will be a big enabler to be able to address some of those issues. And what it will do at the top end, at the global end, is keep us in the game. It, it gives us an opportunity, if we work well and execute it well, um, then we should hopefully be able to retain our talent and keep our national teams uh, performing at the level that we all expect. And so hopefully that kind of answers that question. Um, that's yeah. a tough one okay. to answer to uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, Rob, look, uh, I know, and, and that's, that's as I know for a lot of people the main concern, but you appreciate that. But we appreciate the fact that it uh, 
the last minute you've been able to come on and clarify those details. Congratulations uh, on the deal to this point. Let's hope everyone else uh, gives it the rubber stamp so uh, we can move on in a positive way. Thanks, Rob Nickel, for your time.